see you again. Um, hope you will have an enjoyable evening with uh, Simeon Hein tonight talking about paranormal phenomena. Um, we know Simeon from the crop circles, of course. We have been visiting Nancy and I the crop circles since 1994 already. And paths have crossed with uh, Simeon uh, several times in that time. Um, and Simeon was also one of the first speakers uh, on our uh, night of crop circling back in 2015, uh, albeit that he did a talk from, uh, from his home. So he was visible on the, uh, on the screen, but not live in the room because he lives in California. And for that year, for the first time in a long period, I think, he was not in the UK in the summer. Uh, so <laughs> sorry about that. And I think I haven't seen you since even in the uh, in the crop circles, but never mind that. Um, all right, well, I think that's about it for the people that have just joined. Switch off your videos and switch off your uh, microphone so that we're not bothered by any visual or uh, audio um, spectacles during the lecture. And I would like to say, Simeon, the floor is yours. Hi, well, thanks very much, Roland. <clears throat> Hello to everyone. Uh, thanks for having me back. Uh, Roland, I think that year what had happened was I think our tour groups were a little earlier in July or oh, something. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what it was. We actually haven't done the tour since COVID hit, unfortunately. I can see Maybe that. that'll change, though. I, I just talked to a friend last night. People are still getting it here. So that's sort of interfered with a lot of, you know, live activities. And it's great that we have Zoom now that we can do presentations like this. Of course, it's really great to have live events also. Yeah. And uh, we did the Night of Crop Circling live this year. So we had about 90 people in the room and then we had about 30 great. people joining on Zoom as well. So <laughs> that, that was nice to, to have it both. Right. Right. So now we have these sort of hybrid events. In any case, uh, I wanted to reflect with you on decades of crop circle research and show you exactly why crop circles are so important. What I think may be going on with the physics of why they create uh, very interesting electromagnetic effects and how it relates to other phenomena um that we're all familiar with uh i i think that uh at least until now crop circles have been sort of misunderstood and underappreciated because we find a lot of the same phenomena that in crop circles as we do in other phenomena that are called paranormal phenomena whether it be uh haunted uh, locations, uh, you know, areas of so-called ghost activity, uh, certainly UFO uh, encounters, a topic that's getting increasing attention in the United States. It's been relabeled as UAPs, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. I don't think it tells us anything more about what it is, but at least it seems politically acceptable to have that as part of your platform now is that you want to disclose the truth about UAP. I'm still getting used to that label. Whatever you want to call it, you can't ignore these phenomena. A lot of people want to look at it in terms of nuts and bolts. You know, who's inside these craft? What are these craft? But for anyone familiar with these 
topics, you know, there's sort of this bleed through between these phenomena and they're associated with each other. So that if you visit crop circles a lot, eventually you're going to see other phenomena around those uh, formations, whether it be uh, strange space-time events, camera battery failure, UFOs, shadow people, um, I imagine even UAP. No. Um, and then the most surprising to me of these phenomena is how it relates to what is called cryptids, uh, rare, unexplainable, seemingly animals that have special abilities, uh, Bigfoot, what we call here in the US, Dogman, and other entities that seem like they're part of a shadow world. Um, what I wanna show you tonight is why I think these phenomena are related and also bring in the topic of what's been called cold fusion, low energy nuclear reaction, show you what seems to be going on there based on my research and the current thinking of people in this area. And so by the end of the talk today, I want to have presented ideas and evidence to you showing you that there's another fundamental reality underlying physical reality that uh, we've heard about over the decades and the centuries from people like Nikola Tesla and others. But for some reason, it hasn't really been explored very much. There's been a social stigma for people and scientists that look at these areas. So we're not all that familiar with it. Though what I'm going to show you tonight, uh, and this again just reflects off the lecture I gave you about two years ago at the same time, uh, October 2020. Uh, there are researchers who've been looking at this in every, every major country, and, and it's all basically the same underlying principles here and it does go over into it bleeds over into what we call paranormal phenomena including quasi-physical phenomena like crop circles too so let me show you my presentation and then i i'm going to say that these are my ideas about the topic you don't necessarily have to agree with me this is my best understanding of these phenomena given about 25 years of research you may have other ideas about it, and I, I could be wrong about this, and you could be right, but this is my interpretation of it based on everything I know, and I'm open to hearing your ideas about it in questions and answers. So let me go ahead and start the presentation and, and kind of show you how I got involved in these areas and what I think is, is going on here. So let me go ahead and share my screen. Can you all see that? Okay, great. Uh, so uh, this is coherent matter. I can't, right. I can't see your presentation yet. So something is wrong. Let me check. <clears throat> yeah, I have the uh, ability to share your screen switched on. Oh, excuse me. I didn't. I didn't turn it on yet. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, guys. There we go. I pushed play before I shared my screen. <laughs> One moment. That's why Roland and I were practicing a few yeah. minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty useless. Thank you, Roland. <laughs> Okay. Let me go ahead and share it. Okay. Yeah, that's good. Now we're sharing. Okay, great, guys. Okay, now put it in presenters mode. Because I can see all the slides on the left-hand side now. Um, 
the Zoom screen is, all right, got it. There we go, yeah. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Okay. So this is coherent matter. What is coherent matter compared to other types of matter familiar with? How does it relate to crop circles? A very interesting area of research called uh, torsion toroids, fractal toroids, and how that relates to what I believe are dark matter uh, life forms, okay? So just keep an open mind here. I think you're gonna find that a lot of this material makes sense to you and is familiar, but I'm happy to hear your questions at the end. So I got involved in this whole area way back in graduate school. My PhD is in sociology and I studied fractal geometry way back in the 80s and 90s. Fractal geometry is the science or the mathematics of self-similar objects self-similar objects being how nature really looks. It isn't based on Cartesian geometry, Euclidean geometry, which is based on lines, which is what we got from Greek thinking is that we could uh, kind of reduce everything to a sort of a linear approximation. But fractals are like this artwork here. They're self-similar so that the large scale looks like the, the small scale, basically, as above, so below. And in my dissertation way back in the 80s, I looked at how you could use this to measure the density of information in a system. In other words, could you get a measure in any system of how much information was there by how densely packed uh, something was? And to give you a sense of how you would sort of... Uh, apply this, there's this famous coastline of Britain example that Benoit Mandelbrot, one of the founders of fractal geometry, uh, used to illustrate the idea of fractals. And it's basically the idea that in the real world, the world that you and I live in, everything has this fractured sort of shape. Perfect squares and circles are sort of the exception that's imposed on a fractal background. And in the coastline of Britain example, uh, the idea would be how long is the coastline of Britain or any country, right? Well, you may think that there's a specific answer, but people that study fractals argue that it depends on the length of your ruler. As your ruler gets smaller and smaller, you're going to find more crags and inlets and spaces between uh, rocks, if you keep making your ruler smaller and smaller, uh, eventually you're measuring the space between sand grains. And I think you get the idea. As your ruler gets to infinitely small, the coastline of any country becomes infinitely big. And so the idea is we can't actually say the length of the coastline of Britain, but we can estimate its roughness, its fracturedness, uh, its roughness and the dimension of the appearance because it's fractal. The, as you get closer and closer to any coastline, it looks a lot like the larger picture you have in your mind of the country that would be taken from space. And that's the idea of fractals is that the smallest scale is the smallest 
shape looks a lot like the largest shape. And um, you can get an estimate of a dimension, basically how much space does it fill? So if we look at the coastline of Britain, we would ask how much space does that fill of a flat two-dimensional surface? And it turns out for England, something like 1.2, that's the fractal dimension. Why 1.2? Because it's more than a line, which is one-dimensional, but less than a plane, which is two-dimensional, planar surface. So it's somewhere in between one and two dimensions. So fractal objects are objects that are between dimensions. And if you look around you, anywhere you are, even at yourself, at your body, at your hair, your bronchia structure, uh, trees, and many naturally shaped living things, they are fractals. They keep branching out and branching out into smaller and smaller uh, surfaces. And they really, they might come to an end at some point, but you can't measure them really in the same way that you measure a flat two or three dimensional surface because they're between dimensions like clouds. Clouds typically have a fractal dimension of 2.3 or something like that. Why? Well, they're more than a plane, but they don't totally fill a 3D space because the closer you look, eventually you just see water droplets and smaller and smaller detail. And that's the idea of fractals is they're between dimensions. So this is how I got introduced to uh, a lot of these topics. Uh, Self-similarity is also prevalent in signals. It's been used to measure noise in telephone lines. Uh, music is fractal. What does that mean? Well, the large scale sort of is very similar to the small scale. And if you look at a signal like that over time, one hour looks like one second, which looks like one year. You really can't tell the difference if you didn't know ahead of time. So you get the self-similarity in appearance of physical structure, and you also get self-similarity in energy and signals and uh, waveforms. And that's the idea of fractals. So this is what I studied in my dissertation. So you can imagine my surprise when I showed up in England in 1997 to find the Coke snowflake fractal, which I'm sure many of you are familiar with. Either you had a chance to walk around in it. It was the size of a football field next to Silbury Hill. And it's based, the Coke snowflake is actually one of the fundamental fractal forms in fractal geometry. It's an, created by iteration. You can look at the top here. You just keep adding two edges of a triangle to each surface. You start with a line, then you add you know, two thirds of a triangle to the line. And then to that, every surface you add another two thirds of a triangle. You keep iterating and you eventually you end up with the Coke snowflake. And it really never ends. It can keep getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Now, there's a practical application for this. I'll tell you, we use it every day. It's called JPEG photos. Fractal geometry was found to have applications in compressing data because it, what people in visual arts found is you don't need all the data. You can sort of get an estimate with a fractal algorithm like this. And that's why a JPEG picture only is a small percentage of the original picture, even though it generally looks okay. If you analyze it closely, you'll see it doesn't look the same at small scales because there's a fractal algorithm in there kind of estimating what the small scale should look like from the large scale and vice versa. Also in satellite 
satellite signals to save data in satellites, there's a lot of compression and fractal algorithms are used there. Also in your cell phone. If you're wondering why your cell phone doesn't sound quite as good as the landlines we used to use is because it's been fractally compressed. There's a compression algorithm. There's also fractals in your cell phone itself in the antenna. There was someone that invented, uh, I forgot the guy's name, but he invented a fractal antenna. If you look in, and why? Well, because your cell phone uses a lot of different frequencies. So um, it has to have different sized antennas in there to get the different bandwidths that it's capable of transmitting and receiving on. So you'll find that within the cell phone, there's these fractal-like patterns of, from smaller to bigger of different sized antennas. So there are practical applications. And we're going to see in a moment why fractals are so important. But I got I got introduced to crop circles through, this is the first crop circle I ever went in. I got involved in it through remote viewing because in remote viewing training, a week-long course here in the U.S. at the Farsight Institute, this was a type of target we had. And I was really curious. So I went with a guy named Ron Russell from the Denver area that was giving crop circle tours. And this is the first one we visited. There was also another one that year by Milk Hill, which was a sort of similar type of Coke snowflake, but it was filled in in the middle with its own fractal shapes. And if you actually counted the dots around this, I think it came out to 1.68 or 6.8. It was a relative, it was related to the actual fractal dimension. That's how many dots they put around whoever created this. Uh, the dots uh, sort of related to the fractal dimension. Now, here's the really interesting thing about it. All of you who've been around crop circles have heard or have experienced yourself weird electromagnetic phenomena, right? And this for me has been just a huge puzzle for all these years of uh, why this happened. Uh, this is an example that Ron told me about right before I published my most recent book, Dark Matter Monsters. Uh, I was talking with Ron and he said, you know, I was in there with Doe Kelly. We were at this circle by Silbury Hill. 1993, still kind of the early days for crop circles in the UK. And he said, my compass just started spinning and spinning around like a motor. Okay. Now I've experienced this type of thing so many times, but back in 97, I heard stories from people like all of you and other people that were there at the time that this was happening. Uh, I saw it later that year with Ron when we went to the Danbury Triad Formation near Andover. And his new Sony camcorder stopped working when he put it down right on the wheat. And what he found out when he sent it back to Sony, it never worked again that summer, was that the solder joints had melted at the power supply. That takes quite a jolt of energy to melt solder, I'll tell you that, especially in a battery powered device. Anyway, we've seen this sort of phenomena uh, over and over again. Ron also told me of this story uh, Avery Truslow, where, and, and you might have heard this, he's talked about this if you're familiar with Ron or some of the lore around crop circles. He was in this formation. He went out to his car to get more film. And he started feeling like something was really strange in the area. He encountered people that were speaking a medieval type of English who were dressed in a funny sort of garb. And he could barely understand it was English, but he could barely understand it. And when he came back, he felt like he had been through a time warp. For him, he felt like he had been gone for 30 minutes to an hour. But when he got back, everyone said it only five minutes had passed. 
his whole experience had had transpired in just five minutes though to him it seemed like up to an hour so we've had sort of the space-time sort of experiences that people have had in and around crop circles uh when we've constructed our own circles uh that we've made from time to time uh sometimes the farmers have even helped when we've asked them to use their fields they've come out and helped trample some of the wheat themselves but this was one where we had permission to make one in kansas all of the photos came out strange. You can see right there, something just doesn't look right in these photos. There are bands of light there, like some other energy is there. I mean, these are just far out weird photos. I mean, look at the one at the bottom right. Uh, it's just extremely strange. Now, this was Ron's Nikon uh, camera, physical SLR camera, manual it it just was a manual camera there was no electronics in it it's just an old film camera and it's still uh like on the bottom left look it's me and a guy named steve and you can see kind of our shadow in like a wispy sort of energy there uh again this was just sort of a simple circle in kansas on the way back from the remote viewing conference in austin texas in 2002. so we we've had our own experiences that's my static meter We've always found strange static charges around the crop circle, but we've also found them in other areas too. They just seem a little more intense than crop circles. So this is one sort of experience we've had. There have been orbs that have been seen around crop circles. This is this orb where you can see the orange uh, arrow pointing towards. This was seen by the German tourist. He was coming to visit us on Woodboro Hill. We were with the researchers Koch and Kyborg who made man-made formations. Uh, this one they had made down in, by Woodboro Hill in the Eastfield with you know, Tim Carson's permission. And uh, here's this orb right over the formation. He just stopped on Knapp Hill to take a picture and there's an orb floating there. He sees it and takes a picture of it. So we've had orbs, what are these? Uh, battery and camera failure. We've had, uh, in this formation, Devil's Den, Fivefield Down more formally in 1999, I mean, uh, this is Rob Spate. His GPS device uh, just instantly stopped working, though he had 14 hours of battery life a few minutes before, according to the device. Uh, I was with a guy named Masao Maki, a Japanese circle researcher that also lived in Boulder, Colorado. And uh, he, uh, I, I hadn't met him in Boulder, but I, I lived there too, but he, uh, he just happened to be in England at the same time, and we met on uh, top of Nap Hill one night, overlooking, looking for orbs and things like that. Uh, his camcorder stopped working and my uh, my static electricity device stopped working too. So three devices stopped in a half hour. Now, all this is very weird, folks. This doesn't happen when you go on vacations to the beach or the mountains or wherever you go. You don't see this happening like this, but you see it happening. I, I don't know, you can tell me if I'm wrong. Uh, like 5% of the crop circles, maybe 10, you find these anomalies happening. They seem to be ones that are fractal based and circular shaped. Fractal, I mean, you kind of have these self-similar types of circles. That's my experience. They tend to be round. It's happened to professional film crews too. Uh, uh, this is National Geographic and we were filming with them and they told me right behind uh, Silbury Hill there in that field right to the south. A very interesting field where a lot of strange things have happened over the years. 
And uh, they told me that the BBC had experienced this in Silbury Hill, one of the formations uh, that the camera had to be rebooted from scratch, which is pretty rare. Uh, it just stopped working. They had to call London for instructions how to reboot the camera. So this happens to a wide range of people. I don't think there's any dispute. It's not due to the wheat by itself. I've talked to farmers. They don't have this happen, as far as I know, just in regular old wheat. It's only when there's a crop circle pattern there. Uh, this is one of our tour guests and Pam. And in 2006, we were at Shoots Causeway and her camera would turn off after taking each picture. It would show the preview in this small screen. Remember these cameras we had back before we were using our phones. And uh, maybe some of you still use those. So this is sort of a digital camera and it would show the picture and then it would uh, turn off. Okay. Oops. So, so she was just describing what happened to her camera there. Uh, and uh, I, I have these on YouTube. You can watch these if you want. This is another uh, tour guest. His uh, comp digital compass would stop uh, pointing north uh, in this formation near Avery uh, uh, on the Ridgeway Trail there. So uh, it just happened so many times. And he's actually an engineer, <laughs> teaches engineering. So we've had this happen. The question is why? Here's a tourist from Switzerland. This is what her camera looked like after going into a formation in East Kennet. <laughs> like it never showed any pictures again. It just looked like this. Very, what is that, a constellation in there? I don't know. Fascinating. So my thinking at the time, I'll show you how it's progressed over the years and what I think is going on now based on all the latest evidence. Uh, that there was something about the crop circle that like a metamaterial. Metamaterials are uh, materials that have a very fine structure that can modify wavelengths of sound or radio frequencies or even light. Uh, and different animals and insects have metamaterials embedded in their bodies. Uh, the morphos butterfly is one example that we're familiar with. It doesn't actually have blue pigment, as you can see here. It's, re it's refracting light so that you're only seeing the blue and it's refracting all the other light away from these metamaterials. So I was thinking, are the crop circles acting like a, a waveguide with sort of a metamaterial structure? And I studied this for decades since I've had a subscription to Science Magazine since I was in grad school. I mean, one of my professors said, I should get a subscription to Science Magazine. I don't think he was thinking about this. He was thinking about, you know, articles about ecology and social science and so forth. But I was fascinated by metamaterials and photonic crystals and things like this. So the only challenge I had in my mind is, I didn't think that the wheat was fine enough to affect light directly because you would need something with a smaller wave length than light to actually modulate light if it was modulating sunlight, if that was the cause of this weirdness that we were seeing. But again, animals already have metamaterials and scientists are always creating new ones to create invisibility and cloaking and so forth. So this was one possibility that the, like, and you can kind of see that the way the wheat looks, it's very organized in this spiral, sort of even chiral, you know, pattern. It has a direction and so forth. And, but I couldn't figure out what the wavelength would be that would fit uh, the structure of wheat. It was a mystery for quite a while. Because uh, it didn't seem to me like the morphos butterfly, because that would be like a really fine nanometer structure there. Uh, you know, uh, really tiny. 
uh, micrometers there and uh, really, really tiny. And it didn't seem like that the, the, the wheat stalks would do that. Some, some of the photonic crystals you can see would have to be really close together to affect light. This is called the woodpile effect. But I mean, you can see we're not dealing with that scale in crop circles. I mean, it's not like whatever's making them. And I'll show you in a minute. I think there are many sources of crop circles. Uh, but whatever presses the wheat down, whether it's humans or a UFO or a plasma vortex, it, it's not going that fine as far as I know to create this structure. Though, of course, I could be wrong. Uh, so what does make them? Well, I mean, they're made by lots of different sources, just, you know, and we're all familiar with the different arguments. Uh, th there were the Tully saucer nests back in the 60s, and people did see flying disks over these reeds, which leave this swirling type shape in the reeds. And I did talk to a witness when I was writing Black Swan Ghosts, my previous book. I encountered so many UFO witnesses in crop circles and in related to crop circle research and remote viewing. I just felt it deserved its own book. And Louise told me she lived in Northern Idaho. And I met her at a UFO meeting in the Coeur d'Alene area. And she allowed me, it's, I put it on YouTube and uh, you can watch her testimony. Basically, she told me she was in Usk, Washington with her brother picking huckleberries and a disc came over with the classic wobbly pattern. And uh, she told me, as it left, you can hear it in the video. Just go to my, go to blackswanghost.com and you can watch these videos for free or just go to my YouTube channel with my name. Uh, right, it says it at the bottom. She said, as the disc left, it went, whoosh, that's the sound she made. Straight down, flattened the meadow. I said, Louise, how flat? She said, flat as a pancake, 90 degrees. What does that sound like? I mean, it wasn't a crop circle. It was a straight line where the disc left. The military, by the way, came up from Spokane Air Base there. This is in the... 70s uh, and cordoned off the area and they couldn't get back in the next day to pick huckleberries. They were ticked off. But uh, uh, so we do have witnesses like Louise and her relatives are always writing me, thanking me for filming her before she passed away because now they had a good quality video of her. They didn't have any video of her and they can show this to the grandkids and so forth of her talking about UFOs and this strange event up in Usk, Washington. Uh, but anyway, it was a real UFO affecting plants, okay? So this does happen also. Um, now, uh, and by the way, the top right, I didn't mean to cut off his head. <laughs> it's Colin Andrews in one of the circles by, I think it was by Giant's Causeway. And he had his camera go up, just like a lot of other people. But look at this in the bottom right. The crop circle pattern is causing what seems to me pollen to swirl into a spiral formation. And that shows us, this is a hint of what I'm gonna argue in a moment, is that the crop circle is organizing matter and energy. It's just not energy that you can always see. But in this case, this was taken by a Japanese tourist. And I have this photo in Opening Minds, uh, my first book. And you can see, I mean, isn't this fascinating? Uh, you can see that the, the pollen and whatever is there is being kind of turned into a vortex shape, a spiral DNA type pattern in the center of the formation. This tourist saw this with her eyes and then took the picture. So this is evidence that the crop pattern does organize energy. Okay, we've had magnetic changes too. Colin Andrews and uh, Jean-Noël Auburn, Auburn, uh, back at 2000 in Milton Hill Farms, 
were very enticed by this formation and spent a whole day there with a very large magnetometer that you drag across the field. And they got ma large magnetic changes sort of in the pattern of the crop formation itself, but not exactly. You can see the little drift there. I mean, isn't that something? But now they they didn't know what had made this. We Ron and I went to that village. We hiked all the way across to that area and we talked to people and we located people who said that they had seen people there that night uh, making this or they, were, they thought there were people that night around that area. So we thought this was probably man-made, but it didn't matter in terms of the electromagnetic effects. We later met pe the people that did make it. Well, I interviewed them. I said, well, Colin and Jean-Noël thought you planted magnets or there were magnets buried underneath. They, they couldn't explain this. But no, the circle makers did not put any magnets in it. They just thought it was an interesting Celtic dolmen and a very interesting place to make a formation. And uh, whatever you think, you know, about human-made circles, this is the reality is they also create energetic effects, strong effects. Oh, this is from uh, 99 Oliver's Castle. There was another orb there taken by this picture was from Donald Fletcher. Uh, a tourist from London. This was, if you look at the video, moving very fast at the end, very, very quickly, another orb. There's no flapping that you can see here. If you look at this picture, this is really an orb-like thing. That's, by my estimate, when I went back there to take measurements, it seemed to have been uh, gone about up to 200 miles an hour at the final streak. And then some of them do seem to be made by plasmas. This is the one by Westbury Whitehorse, which I'm sure some of you are familiar with. And I was there with my tour group, and we could see this up from the White Horse. And this, to me, does not look man-made. This looks, to me, like splayed out from the center, right? Like, uh, <clears throat> like some people have suspected in the past, Terence Meaden and others, and uh, some of Jap Japanese scientists who were studying ball lightning, which we'll talk about in a moment, who believed that crop circles were created by plasmas and ball lightning. And this could be one of those types, because having made a lot of circles over the years and having gotten to know the, the human circle makers in, in the UK, uh, Matt Williams and others, uh, they don't look like this, the ones that they make. Uh, it just doesn't have that radial pattern. It doesn't look swept like that towards edges. So my belief is this is up either caused by whirlwinds or plasmas or something like this. So my feeling at the time, a number of years ago, is what was going on. Why would these circles <clears throat> affect magnetism and devices and you know space-time distortions? My idea is that perhaps they were <clears throat> not just reflect, refracting light. Excuse me a sec. They were refracting dark energy. Uh, they were literally <clears throat> dealing with something cosmological. And somehow the swirling pattern was, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> was uh, affecting either, you know, dark energies, I thought at the time, and there's also dark matter. Now, if you're familiar with uh, <coughs> the idea, we'll, we'll look into this in a second, but dark matter and dark energy are the predominant energies in the universe. Dark energy is thought to be something that pushes galaxies apart. And dark matter was, officially discovered about 100 years ago, Fritz Zwickier, University of Chicago astrophysicist. And uh, he, it was just found from the rotation of galaxies. There wasn't enough matter to hold them together. They should be flying apart. Ours included the Milky Way, but they weren't. So they're 
had to be more energy there, perhaps as much as um, uh, 10 dark matter particles for every uh, one particle that we can see. So maybe I thought that's what was going on here at the time. Excuse me, so I'm just gonna cough a second. I'm gonna mute myself for one second so I can clear it. Okay, we've had some fires out in this direction. I think it's a little bit of the smoke. In any case, Andrew Collins, the author, who is still writing, as far as I can see, I think there's some new work from him recently. I mean, he documented some of this with the Day family that encountered um, balls of light, a luminous phenomena in the London area <clears throat> a number of years ago, and then had really strange experiences back at their home. Um, he also documented the Ray Barnes case, who Colin Andrews, I talked with him about it recently, we communicated. Uh, also after seeing a crop circle in the area near where he worked in his town, um, started experiencing strange phenomena in his home. Now, this is not all that different from what we've been hearing about places like Skinwalker Ranch, which you can read about in this newer book, Skinwalkers at the Pentagon, by one of the engineer, uh, actually Defense Intelligence Agency analysts, I mean, an engineer, but Defense Agency analysts, who worked in the OSEP program. You've heard of ATIP and OSEP now. It's been in the news. He, he was the director of the OSEP program. And they described at the Skinwalker Ranch where they went to look at some of these phenomena. It wasn't just Skinwalker Ranch. It was a number of areas throughout the United States uh, in Washington State, uh, Colorado, but primarily Skinwalker Ranch. It's a ranch in northern Utah. And there have been strange things that have gone on there for a long time. Colin Keller and George Knapp wrote about it in Hunt for the Skinwalker. Now, once you start reading this, folks, you will see that what we've seen in crop circles is what people experience with different phenomena, too, including cryptids, orbs, energy anomalies, and this so-called hitchhiker effect, which is a, the idea that once you have an experience, it follows you home. Now, I'm not sure if anything's following you home from the ranch or from the crop circle like Ray Barnes. Uh, I mean, it could be. I just imagine it's more of a frequency change that you've experienced by being around something that we call coherent matter. We'll talk about that in a moment. Maybe you've changed a little bit and now you're seeing more of reality that was around you the whole time. So this hitchhiker effect is what uh, Andrew Collins is talking about with the Day, the family, the Day family and the Ray Barnes case. And, and you can do more research on this. It's just interesting that even people from the government from an intelligence agency, one of the main intelligence agencies here in the US, uh, experience phenomena that you and I have experienced in and around crop circles. I just found that fascinating. And I was looking for some evidence like this because I mean, again, going back there year after year after year, so many years uh, and seeing these phenomena happen. I Folks, I even saw someone's key band after coming back from East Kent at once. They, had the key in their pocket. We were sitting on the crop circle. They came back to the 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 uh, uh, Castle and Ball Hotel, and their key just bent <laughs> when they're turning. Like psychokinesis. I mean, you could dismiss it, but what causes? I've never seen a key bend from a hotel before. But after a crop circle, of course. Now, this has also been documented around UFOs, strange effects from UFOs. This NICAP report from Major Donald Kehoe. 
uh, a very instrumental figure in UFO ufology in the US and the director of Nightcap, Gordon Lore. This is filled with about 100 cases of similar types of stories that we've seen in and around crop circles, perhaps more intense, but the same sort of thing. Uh, orbs, space-time distortions, glowing areas after the craft have left on the ground, uh, animals reacting strangely, uh, apart from all the creatures and entities that seem to come out of these craft and approach people. Oh, especially what got me in strange effects from UFOs, cars stalling, batteries failing, hissing on the radio. Again, it's the same types of electromagnetic effects are kind of similar to what we've seen around crop circles. Say it's related. Um, so what are the, some of the cosmological factors that could be involved here? I suggested to you that I had this idea in 2013 that it could have to do with dark energy. It actually, I, I stand corrected, it seems to have something to do with dark matter because there is a type of dark matter that does reach us from space, from the Big Bang, the cosmic background radiation. It's called relic neutrinos. And Alexander Parkhamov, a Russian, former Soviet scientist uh, who worked at a high level in some of their classified aeronautics back during the time of the Soviet Union, and he's still around now in, in Russia. Uh, he's still investing. He published this book, or uh, Bob Greener from the Martin Fleischmann Memorial Project Translated, Space Earth Human. And it's all about, and I found this absolutely fascinating. There are particles coming in, neutrinos, from the cosmic background radiation from the beginning of time that are lensed and uh, focused by the sun, by the moon, by other galaxies. They are one or 2% of dark matter. They are not the whole thing, but even articles about relic neutrinos say there are more massive relic neutrinos than all the matter we can see in the universe because one or 2% of dark matter is a lot. And the main thing about relic neutrinos, folks, that Parkhamov was, the point he was making is these low energy neutrinos, we don't interact with them electromagnetically, but they have a type of pressure that can be measured with telescopes. He built this telescope from Soviet surplus equipment, this tabletop neutrino telescope. And he found that uh, there would be variations in the neutrino density based on solar eclipses and the position of the sun. This is not all that different from what we found in remote viewing, something called sidereal time. People's remote viewing ability, ability to perceive things at a distance, changes based on the position of the Earth to the center of the Milky Way. Well, Parkhamov found that there were variations in beta decay rates in atomic decay, uh, of atomic decay reactions, things like plant growth, various experiments with water, that there were subtle changes that shouldn't be there if the textbooks are right about chemistry and physics. But based on variations he found in neutrino densities and fluxes, there were variations in biological and physics processes that could only be explained by these fluxes of relic neutrinos. And uh, so relic neutrinos, again, we can't see them directly, but they're large enough, their wavelength is large enough. And I'm showing you this graph. The de Broglie wavelength, which is sort of their quantum frequency, it's not a literal frequency, but it's sort of their quantum wavelength, quantum mechanics being based more on probability. Their interaction region is large enough to interact with entire atoms and cells in us. 
we're contacting, when you're outside, you're in contact with about 10 million relic neutrinos at every second. So they're coming down on you. And if you're inside a house and you shut all the windows and doors, you're depriving yourself of relic neutrinos. And even some of these experiments that have been done in low energy nuclear reaction, if they don't open a window up after a while, the experiment changes at an atomic level. Crazy, right? So this is the macro micro connection that I was looking for to explain in crop circles is how could something macro sized like a crop circle interact with the cosmos and our equipment? This is a good candidate for it. Solar neutrinos that you've heard about are pretty small, very small, and they don't interact with anything. They're high energy. They come from the sun, but they don't really matter because they're so small that you and I don't exist. If you ever want to argue with someone that we physically don't exist, you can use solar neutrinos as an example. Solar neutrinos are so small that you and I don't exist. They would have to go for 10 years in lead to hit something on average. They're that small, 10 light years in lead. That's how small solar neutrinos, but not relic neutrinos. Relic neutrinos are large enough that they interact with everything our size, the mesoscopic on up, which means uh, chemical molecule sized on up, they're interacting cells, all of it. So this is a fascinating research where Russia was way ahead of the West in terms of looking at relevant neutrinos. Also, Parkomov did some work in psi phenomena, including remote viewing. He was in the Soviet remote viewing program, and he studied something very interesting called small black holes. He believed that these black holes collapsed matter, which we'll cover in a moment, were coming into the Earth's atmosphere occasionally, like examples like the Tunguska Siberia explosion, right? things like that. But he had examples where they'd be go over villages in the Soviet Union, in Russia and other territories, and the nails and shingles would come off the houses and follow these little glowing orbs as they came across. They were temporary black holes that would just dissolve. They weren't a threat to our existence. They weren't going to gobble up the whole universe. They're small, but they would, right around them, they would just really attract things. And so that's another fascinating of this book, which I uh, is well worth taking a look at. So relic neutrinos are one component that crop circles could be interacting with because of their chiral uh, shape. And I'll show you more about that in a second. Uh, there's more and more consensus that relic neutrinos are significant. They component of dark matter. You can see this from CERN working group. NASA has posted about this and so forth. And there's more and more telescopes and, and things uh, astronomical instruments in, in orbit now that can measure the properties of relic neutrinos. So they're one component of dark matter, dark matter being about 30% of the universe, uh, way more than physical matter that we can see, uh, baryonic matter, okay? That's just a half a percent. Everything that you can see when you look around you out in space at night is just a half a percent of everything that's there. This is a simulation of what dark matter might look like. And it's gravitational. This is why it has a web-like structure to it. It's It can't be detected directly electromagnetically, but it has a, a gravitational component. So it forms this thread-like, uh, spider thread-like structure throughout the cosmos. And this is one simulation. And relic neutrinos are thought to be just a percentage of this. Boyd Bushman at Lockheed Martin, the senior scientist, talked about 
dark matter, dark energy affecting the neutrino universe. So this other universe of neutrinos could be very important. It's something we don't, and, and Bushman says that we don't understand very much about it. So what is the evidence that if there's a fractal nature in the universe? It started with a lot of scientists looking into phenomena like plasmas and ball lightning. Now, the three states of matter we're familiar with, uh, and I'm going to get into orbs here a little bit and, and what those could be, uh, especially the ones we've seen around crop circles. And I saw one once on that hill uh, with another fellow. It was just there for about a couple of seconds on the ground, typical of ball lightning, bluish, like a blue grapefruit on the ground. And it just it was just going. People like Winston Bostick back in the 50s were looking at why, if you put plasmas around magnetic fields, they looked like galaxies. Bostick was someone that was working for the Department of Energy into peaceful uses of nuclear energy. And he discovered you could make these test tube galaxies with magnetic fields, and he called them plasmoids. Now, the three states of matter we're normally familiar with, you know, solid, liquid, gas. The next state past those is plasmas. Lightning is a plasma. Aurora borealis is a plasma. Neon bolts and fluorescent bolts are plasmas. Plasma is actually one of the most abundant types of matter in the universe. Uh, maybe not on Earth. We're used to solid stuff here more. But out, out there in space, it's mostly plasmas, ionized gases. If you put these gases around, plasmas around magnetic fields, they'll start to self-organize and form these toroid spiral shapes. And that's what Bostick was really interested in doing. So he basically showed that with the right... Uh, magnetic fields, you could create these spontaneous plasma shapes, which seem a lot like uh, ball lightning. This actually made the New York Times. Um, and he, he realized you could create a kind of propulsion out of this that we could get to Mars and back, and I forgot how many said, a couple of weeks, using these plasmoids as a type of propulsion. So he would experiment with this. It's reminiscent of what Nikola Tesla was doing, just with different types of equipment. Then there was Kenneth Shoulders, Kenneth Shoulders was looking into what Bostick was doing and John Hutchinson, a Canadian experimenter that was able to bend metal at room temperatures using Tesla technology, Nikola Tesla, <laughs> not the Tesla we're familiar with now, the car company, Tesla's tech. Uh, what, what was Tesla doing when he replicated it? He would have these fractured and bent metal samples, not from heat, from room temperature. So Kenneth Shoulders was looking at that, and he came up with this idea of exotic vacuum objects, clusters of particles, charge plus particles like Bostic was looking at. But Shoulders realized this was one of the most abundant types of energy forms around, self-organizing clusters of electrons. They also have a dark mode where you won't see them, but they're still doing their work. When they tunnel through uh, materials like metals, they form a fractal shape. And this is what Bostic and Shoulders and many others were saying, is that these sort of shapes, you see them at the largest scale in galaxy structures uh, like Bostic, and you see them under a microscope, it's fractal, going back to fractals, as above, so below. And that's what they found. These charge clusters overcome the Coulombic repulsion, which we're all familiar from high school physics classes, right? That like charges repel. Well, under compression, 
they don't repel anymore. They have a huge attraction. They form ball lightning. And when ball lightning is in a micro state, it tunnels through things and creates these fractal tree-like structures. And this led Kenneth Shoulders, who, by the way, worked at SRI when the remote viewing program was there, as far as I know. Um, he had this comment that it has a black state where you can't see what it's doing and that it's interacting with dark matter again. We're going back to dark matter. And this is Kenneth Shoulders who's studying electron clusters. He called them exotic vacuum objects. He believed they actually contact the vacuum energy state. So he said that there's another universe that we don't see, a black universe, that is a lower pressure region of space, and that uh, it might be what we call dark matter, and that these EVOs, they have, they have a kind of a, a light side and a dark side, and they can interact with dark matter. And if we go back to Boyd Bushman, dark matter is interacting with neutrinos. So we have this connection between, again, relative neutrinos and dark matter. And because we know that things that are swirling and spiraling, you can just see from Bostic and Shoulders uh, work, it's all spirals and uh, toroids, which we'll get into a second, donut shapes, toruses, uh, that this is a type of matter that has many different states and it has a dark mode uh, where it's invisible and you can only detect it energetically. You can't see it, okay? But it could be around you. These exotic vacuum objects from Russian experiments have been found to exist for months after you turn the experiment off. In other words, if you do something that creates compression, it could be cavitation, which is rapid shaking. You can create these exotic vacuum objects from very inexpensive cavitation equipment that you can buy easily buy. They can form these charge clusters, which are energetically active in metals or other materials for months after you end the experiment. They're still there. And they you could be looking at under your electron microscope and you're going to see them. And they're still glowing. Uh, some people have had it happen for two days. Some people have had it happen for months. Uh, so this is one of the features of these experiments is once you turn them off, they're still active because they're involved in a whole nother state of matter that just is not directly electromagnetic. It's more gravitational, okay? It's a type of gravitational collapse. And that is what another researcher in Japan came to the same conclusion, Takayaki Matsumoto. Uh, by the way, this is his, another product from the Martin Fleischmann Memorial Project. Bob Greener translated his steps to the discovery of electronuclear collapse. What Matsumoto found is the same thing that Bostic found and Shoulders, just in his own way. He's a nuclear physicist from the University of Hokkaido in Sapporo, New Mexico, uh, Sapporo, Japan. He found what we call cold fusion, low energy nuclear reaction is a type of electronuclear collapse. The particles, he called them itonic clusters. Everyone has their own names for this, but the Particles get so close together, they compress and form a miniature black hole. He took pictures of these black holes in materials. Just like what Ken Shoulders was saying, the ball lightning, what Matsumoto called 
microball lightning has a flip side where it turns into a black hole. It's not like a black hole that, you know, is going to have more any effect more than just right in its immediate vicinity. It's not something you have to worry about sucking in the whole universe like we always hear about could happen at CERN or something when they turn on their superconductor. It's not like that. These are micro black holes that transmute matter. And Matsumoto believed this is what cold fusion was, what Fleischmann and Pons had discovered. And so this is a fascinating aspect, uh, is that Matsumoto was saying that what we see happening in black holes out in space and neutron stars, high type of compression where light can't even escape, happens at a microscopic scale. And that what cold fusion is and ball lightning, and again, going back to this kind of fractal idea that I mentioned at the beginning, same things happen at large scales and small scales, that this is what happened with ball lightning and black holes. Now, Matsumoto wasn't just some lightweight. He, he was a top scientist and he looked at all of his stuff under electron microscopes. This is not theory. He's basing it on what he's seen from his equipment, gravitational decay. So basically matter is changing form under uh, instances of compression. Again, cold fusion's a small scale simulation of events far away in the universe, uh, a type of gravity decay. And ball lightning, a type of particle compression, uh, where the particles are all at the same frequency and temperature, is pulling in these relic neutrinos. He realized you don't need neutrons to do what's called cold fusion. You could get it from neutrinos. Where are we getting the neutrinos? Cosmological neutrinos. They're all over the place. That it's pulling in this type of dark matter, and it's creating and expelling dark matter at the same time, more of the same types of particles. More neutrinos called cold neutrinos. Uh, they're slow, slow cold neutrinos. This could be some of these phenomena we see around crop circles and other related phenomena, PK, psychokinesis, so forth. Uh, gravitational collapse. And again, just one last quote from Matsumoto because he's such a good researcher in this. He was banned from publishing in some uh, one of the main research journals in the U.S. because of just mentioning ball lightning. I mean, you guys think crop circles are controversial? Imagine you're a nuclear physicist and you just mentioned ball lightning as creating something in a microscope, micro ball, and, and you get banned because that's how rigid academia can be. Uh, he says it seems difficult that you can get a black hole in a cell. Um, but he says it's actually easier to create black holes at a small scale than a large scale because you uh, the, the forces are so strong, the electromagnetic forces, it's 40 times stronger than gravity. So anytime you get this compression and you get this around earthquakes, right? This is why you get these luminous phenomena. Uh, Marsha Adams gave us a presentation at the SSC meetings where she said she was proposing to NASA using ball lightning orbs as a type of earthquake prediction because when you get plate tectonics compressing you get uh you get ball lightning and orbs floating up to the tops of mountains she thought they'd be visible from satellites and matsumoto found get this he mentions in his papers this is a collection of his papers from 1989 until the most recent ones he mentions crop circles yes he said he saw them after thunderstorms several days in a row in Sapporo area. And he believed these were simple circles. He believed they were created by ball lightning and, and 
or you know self-organized plasmas and so forth from thunderstorms they would show up after thunderstorms so again this is some evidence that crop circles have a lot of different uh sources but the main thing is it's fascinating that you find them after thunderstorms too simple circles but in any case uh what we are the type of thing we're at now is that when you have this matter that's coherent and it's compressed and it keeps compressing it literally collapses into a temporary black hole um and it transmutes matter and i will show you evidence like that for in a second some of the cold fusional energy low energy nuclear reaction researchers looked at what they were seeing in their microscopes and it looks like crop circles i mean it looks like crop circle like patterns often in paris by the way this is in michael solon's patent which i believe uh believe he was denied by the patent office at the time in the 90s he drew what he was seeing under the electron microscope from collisions of micro ball lightning on the metal surfaces and it has crop circle like patterns uh bob greenier uh one of the members of the martin nonprofit martin flash memorial project built this model of the exotic vacuum object and he calls it a fractal phantom toroid it's a donut shaped object it's not physically there like this because each ring is made of smaller rings and smaller rings i'll show you in a moment because we now have research that shows that's the exact conclusion the soviets came to when they were looking at this in the 80s and 90s bob and the MFMP figured this out on their own from their own experiments, which they conduct. Work of Ken Shoulders, John Hutchinson. They found these shapes right in the metal surfaces, metals that had been at room temperature. So this is a fractal object because even in the rings that you can see, there those are made of smaller rings. It's like this all the way down to the smallest scale to the quantum zero point field. And uh, and that's why Shoulders called it an exotic vacuum object. It contacts the quantum vacuum space. What, what some people call the Dirac. See, Paul Dirac, you know, had created the idea of antiparticles, uh, just looking at Einstein's ideas and quantum mechanics. He said there had to be a mirror universe of particles that we hadn't detected yet, a mirrorverse. And uh, that was ended up being called the Dirac C, which is a huge, you know, this idea that in any empty space, there's more, much more energy by a ma many magnitudes than of all the sol solid objects you can see. So these are fractal toroidal objects. That's what ball lightning can look like under an electron microscope, if you could see it in action. It leaves patterns like this in metals. Uh, not that there was a solid object there, this is moving like magnetically, if you can imagine that. It's creating the motion that looks like this and an energy pattern that looks like this. And ball lightning at a larger scale, it's, it's I mean, something that's been known for thousands of years. It can come down chimneys. Uh, it can go through air down airplane aisles. Uh, I've read a lot about ball lightning. It just can come into rooms through windows. When it comes into a room, it can leave the metal that it's passed through in a window frame in a putty soft like state at room temperature okay just try to wrap your mind around that you know we were all wrapping our minds around crop circles but there's it's actually the same sort of phenomena in my view is 
you don't have an energy effect from temperature or even classical electromagnetism. It's a purely quantum effect. It's literally melting the metal from a quantum point of view. It's losing its kind of coherency as a metal and, and it's soft for a while, like aluminum. People who felt this in trains and places where the ball lightning has come through the window, you can move the metal around, but it's room temperature, okay? It's in a, it's in a, another quantum state. It's not a solid anymore, but it's not a guess. It's something else, coherent matter. People that have studied ball lightning, like David Freiberger at the Stanford Linear Accelerator Center in California, working for Department of Energy, came to the same conclusions that ball lightning is in fact a highly compressed toroidal magnetic field. He called it a vorton. Now, people come up with their own names for this and it's because this area of research, I mean, those of us in crop circles, for example, right? Often someone just won't talk to you because you're talking about crop circles. They think it's so strange. It's almost seemed like the stigma associated with it. We talk with each other. So we might have come up with terms for things in crop circles that the regular, you know, the rest of the world doesn't know about because we talk amongst each other, right? Well, it's the same way in these fields of physics with people looking at condensed matter research, especially uh, ball lightning, is there are tons of really excellent ball lightning researchers. I've read all their books recently, many of them. The U.S. Air Force studied this too. So Freiberger called it a vorton, but it's basically a toroidal magnetic intense charge that he argued was actually another state of matter, uh, non-ordinary Maxwellian electromagnetic fields. Normally, Maxwellian fields, ma electricity magnetism are at right angles. And if you look at the textbooks, this is what you'll see if you run energy through a wire electricity, you'll get at right angles. It's called a pointing vector, a magnetic field at right angles. If they're not at right angles anymore, you start getting these very strange effects and they're called uh, closed pointing vectors, okay? And it has very strange effects. It affects the fundamental constants of the universe uh, and can create gravitational effects. Even John Wheeler, who was the supervisor for Hugh Everett III, who I've talked about in some of my lectures about the idea of a multiverse, how quantum mechanics leads to the idea of parallel realities. His interest was in these Vorton uh, toroidal type structures, which he said could create gravity. And this is his paper from 1954. He called these geons, gravitational electromagnetic entities. He said if it was in a toroidal shape and there was enough uh, coherency from the shape you create gravity which you can understand would why would that be interesting to you know have defense applications and so forth right so it's just fascinating how these fields overlap this is from 1954 and this is the paper where he coined the term black holes right there and wormholes right in this paper from 1954 you can find it online and uh again he was just showing how uh compressed electromagnetic fields, closed electromagnetic loops, closed pointing vectors, what some people call non-radiating electromagnetics, could create gravitational changes, literally gravitational changes. 
Now, the idea of coherent matter, I've been kind of hinting at it during the talk. It comes from the work of Albert Einstein and Satyendra Bose from 1925, where Bose writes to Einstein and he proposes some of these ideas about how uh, relativity theory uh, and quantum mechanics would lead to type a new type of matter, a, co a coherent type of matter that the waveforms of a quantum object, if you keep cooling something down enough, a substance, there's overlap. You kind of keep lowering the energy. There's enough overlap of the wave patterns where a group of particles would just become one big particle. Okay? Group of particles would just become one particle. It's called a Bose-Einstein condensate. And it wasn't discovered empirically until 1995. 70 years later, the Bose-Einstein condensate is discovered. And just a few years ago, scientists were very excited to see the Bose-Einstein condensate form into, well, there you have it, kind of the toroidal donut-like shape, a macroscopic object. In other words, something that we could see at a larger scale. Now, Bose-Einstein condensates only form at really ultra-cold temperatures. So we don't normally see them in our reality, and they're very fragile because as soon as any energy goes into them, they dissolve. A few years ago, Lockheed Martin was granted a patent in this type of coherent matter waves. And in their patent, they argue some of the benefits of this would be cloaking invisibility um, and uh, uh, teleportation based on the Aronhoff-Bohm effect, one of the strangest quantum principles anyone's ever encountered. The Aronhoff-Bohm effect is a quantum effect that isn't based on any physical energy you could measure classically, that anything you and I would measure in any ordinary way. It's based on potential energy that you find in the quantum equations, potential energy. And using resonance and potential energy, you can affect things at a distance. And in their patent, they say, uh, unlike the Bose-Einstein condensate, which has to be at a low temperature, we can create coherence at room temperature using the AB effect, using resonance. And they just described resonance. And it would work with not only Bose, which you know, Bose is named after Satchendra, bosons after Satchendra Bose, particles that like to clump together. It would also work with electrons, which are called fermions because they like to repel each other. So here, you know. A lot of times, folks, the topics we're in, people sort of dismiss it. It could be seen as fringe. You know, in radio interviews, people say that's what they are, especially things like crop circles, but many topics like this. So this is interesting to me. This is interesting. On one hand, it's considered fringe topic, maybe junk science. You've heard all these things hurled also at cold fusion. And yet, at the same time, you have the largest defense contractors patenting the same freaking principles. And they, it's not called junk science anymore when defense contractors get a patent in it. It did take the patent office 10 years to award a patent here to Lockheed Martin to understand this. But basically, they're talking about making coherent matter wave beams. And once you have coherent matter, which to us simply means same temperature and same frequency, resonance you're going to get a host of really interesting macroscopic quantum effects 
uh, as I said, invisibility and teleportation and the like. Now, these were seen, and this is from a declassified CIA report, of these really large-scale luminous phenomena around Soviet nuclear tests that some people thought were a type of anti-ballistic missile defense system around the missile to prevent adversaries of the Soviet Union from defeating the missile before it was taken off. But according to John Ramirez, who's given a lot of interviews, he was a signals intelligence analyst at CIA in missiles, signals. He said that when they looked at these luminous phenomena, they were seen, you know, in these different areas of the Soviet Union and, and places around the world around missile tests. They would see objects coming in from the atmosphere, and they concluded that these were created by UFOs. And then these were thought to be Iranhoff-Bohm-type effects, which they could be, but it's interesting that the CIA had a classified program in orbs, according to Ramirez, and UFOs, and that they concluded these were related to UFOs, UAPs, and that UFOs had a shadow side to them, which made them into invisible plasmas. I mean, I'm not making this up. You can listen to Ramirez talk about this. Just look him up. He was on many podcasts, major podcasts. That what we're that these are actually UFOs have a dark stealth side to them, which is just a plasma, kind of like a ball of light. So how does this all tie into crop circles? And what we've been looking at, just to sort of sum it up over the next 15 minutes. What we're looking at with crop circles are a type of fractal electromagnetics, in my view, where the spiral form of the circle is creating a closed, enclosed sort of donut, uh, fractal donut shape. And I'll show you what that looks like. In other words, it doesn't emanate electromagnetic energy directly, but when you're very close to it, it's going to have electromagnetic effects because the electromagnetic signals are turning inward. Uh, they're not radiating out like a light bulb would or a radio antenna or your cell phone. They're turning inward to quantum zero field, the, the direct C if you prefer. And all the energy is focusing down, down. This was discovered by classified Soviet research, and there's a paper online you could read about. It's called The Bagel Game by V.E. Zverblis. Zverblis was a physicist who said that he encountered in a Moscow basement an electromagnetic phantom. It's right there in the first paragraph, electromagnetic phantom. It was an object that uh, when it was turned on, it would you'd put signal into it. When the signal was turned off, the machine was unplugged, and you removed the machine, you would still see a glow over the table surface in the shape of a donut. Okay? Again, like a self-organized plasma. And he didn't believe it at first. He thought it was some sort of charlatanism. But he stayed long enough to see that it was real, and he started inquiring about it. He couldn't get very much information because it was classified, and he decided to write this paper in 1995, right as the Soviet Union's ending, 94, 95, um, talking about what he saw there. And it's the same idea that we heard about from, I mentioned by Freiberger and other people. It's these fractal donut shapes, guys. 
fractal toroids. Uh, in a regular toroid that's classical, if you have a circuit, in other words, instead of a wire, which is polar, where you have positive and negative, or like magnets, where you have positive and negative, what happens when it's in a loop? It's a closed loop. And if you just have one closed loop and you run electricity along the edge, you'll create a magnetic field this way. But what happens if you put more wires around the original donut, around the meridians? Zverbalist looked into this and hired a friend of his who was a top mathematician in the Soviet Union, Nevesky, N.E. Nevesky. And Nevesky concluded it was this fractal toroid shape that was creating the electromagnetic phantom. Zverbalist said the phantom would stay there after you turned off the machine and you could whisk it off the table with your hand. What we would call ball lightning, something like that, something very similar, a coherently organized shape that's emitting light that we've seen in crop circles, it's been seen at Skinwalker Ranch, it's seen around UFOs and uh, cold fusion experiments. You get these ball lightnings floating around the laboratory. There's video of it on YouTube from David Boutillier who recreated some of Tesla's uh, experiments. And you can see in this video, these little ball lightnings forming just like Matsumoto said you'd get. Well, Zverbalist and Nevesky said, this is caused by fractal toroid shapes. And the Electromagnetic forces are so intense in there that it strips off particles and compresses them. And it channels relic neutrinos through it too. So this fractal toroid shape is based on what? Coke snowflake. I literally fell, almost fell over my chair a couple of months ago when I saw this article, which Bob Greener translated, and you can see it on his remote view substack page. Nevesky and Zverbalist concluded that the only shape in nature that would completely fill space-time all the way down to the Dirac Sea is the Coke snowflake. The, the very shape we saw in Milk Hill and Silbury Hill in 1997, and that I came across in my dissertation in, uh, in graduate school. They show the Coke snowflake. They mention the Coke snowflake. So the Soviets knew this, and it was this classified research. And this is what creates ball lightning and a whole host of weird phenomena, gravity collapse, gravity decay. The good old Coke snowflake in a donut shape. And for my book, Dark Matter Monsters, I had an artist who I know will happen to be seen soon, uh, who created her interpretation of the Nevesky's verbalist diagram. I just asked her to redraw it. And you can imagine, folks, uh, what happens is the electro, the electromagnetics and the electron magnetic signals keep overlapping in a fractal way down and down and down, smaller and smaller. And each loop, there's more loops around it all the way down. That's what the verbalist Nevesky found. They both passed away now, but this was really pioneering research, which we almost didn't find out about it. So the Soviets sort of figured it out, but, you know, due to the infighting within their system, which is what Hal Putoff talked about in 2018 at the Irva SSA meeting in Vegas, I mean, they never were able to do anything with this because they just, the system was too corrupt, but uh, they came up with the right science. So it's these fractal toroids and the Nevesky, uh, it's called a toroidal moment. Now you can see what it is. Some people call it a hypertoroid because there's more toroids within toroids within toroids and it's very compressed and it 
creates a closed pointing vector in contrast to the open ones, which we're used to, which is dark, you can't see it, and it won't affect you until you're right next to it, which is why ball lightning has a high magnetic effect, but only when it passes right next to you and it can pull things out of your pockets. Otherwise, it doesn't affect you that way. This would affect the fundamental constants of our universe as we know it, including permittivity and permeability. Yeah, Hal Plodoff talked about this in his 2018 lecture. He called it blue shifting. It affects the speed of light. The speed of light is based on uh, electrical and magnetic constant in vacuum space. And it's changed by closed pointing vectors. And Nevesky said something which really made me think of crop circles. Uh, there's a correspondence between the chiral, the, the, uh, the spiral shapes of electromagnetic structures, toroids, crop circles, and the macromolecules of living matter. So the shape of the crop circle could be enough to create this electromagnetic phantoms. Just the spiraling, if the windings are correct, I don't know exactly which windings it would be. Would it be based around phi ratio, uh, pi? We've all seen so many crop circles over the years with different mathematical ratios. Some of them seem to affect living matter because the spirals are just right and you're getting these kind of fractal donut type shapes. Now, this is not just something you find in electromagnetic physics in this uh, dissertation from Timothy Raybould, uh, which you can find online, toroidal excitations, you know, the donut shape, free space metamaterials. He says that you see this in red blood cells, you and me. The brains of fruit flies have a toroid in them, which acts like a form of compass. This has been seen at other locations, Marley Woods, which was documented by Ted Phillips. Now this is what they photographed at Marley Woods. And you can see it has an abrupt break at the end. It goes up and it goes down. It's not acting like an ordinary thing, which would just keep going straight. But it's exactly what you found at Project Hestelin in Norway, right? These same sort of luminous phenomena, which Freiberger, by the way, in his articles about uh, Vortons and uh, non-ordinary electromagnetic, he calls them diality angles, kind of different arrangements of electricity and magnetism. He said that this is the same as ball lightning. He makes that argument in his uh, paper. It's the same thing as Marley Woods and all the other places you see in ball lightning. It's the same thing. It's a type of compression, a uh, type of gravitational collapse. And there are symptoms of this. So let's talk about some of the physical symptoms. You find these crenellated iron-rich spheres, which we know about from the work of Bob Greener and MFMP. You find them in soil and hestelin. You find them in meteorites. And you find them in cold fusion experiments, all types of cold fusion experiments. So I'd be really curious, would we find these around crop circles? I remember there was some iron material found in what, that formation. Uh, what, what was that little town out there? towards past Avery Truslo. Um, anyway, under what, that white horse uh, on the A4. And I wonder if you'd find these, these crenellated spheres. This is a type of nuclear transmutation that you get that Matsumoto saw, Shoulder saw. It's because the material is changing from one type of material into another. You find new elements there that were not there when the experiment started. It's alchemy. 
I mean, Newton was right. It just wasn't the way he thought it was happening. It's a type of alchemy. So you get this ball lightning micrometeorites. And finally, I was really surprised to find this in Bigfoot sightings. Now, how did I come across this? How, how does this go from crop circles to Bigfoot? I live in parts of the West where people experience this entity. This hasn't received a lot of attention because it's really hard. How do you talk about this? Uh, people don't even remember it very well afterwards. They see orbs. Their watches act funny. Cameras and batteries fail. Got my attention right there. Cars won't start temporarily. So the same thing's happening around these cryptids like Bigfoot that you get around all these other phenomena we've been talking about in this discussion here. I discovered this because uh, there was a place called the Sasquatch Outpost not far from Boulder. And I just happened to go in. A friend had mentioned it to me. And I, I just thought, oh, what is it? And there was a map. And I didn't realize how many sightings there were in the Rocky Mountains. Tree structures and people get rocks thrown at them. Though when you look, you can't see anyone throwing the rocks. I've had this happen to friends. They can be large rocks. They can be rocks that would really hurt if they hit you. But they don't. That I know about. They just come close enough to scare you off the trail. So this has been happening throughout the West. It's what we call a hidden event in sociology. And the BFRO net, once I started looking them up, I realized man, this is happening across the, everywhere I ever lived in the U.S. This has been happening. And people don't talk about it because of the stigma associated with having these encounters. And it can be traumatic. Uh, these creatures are literally that big. They're huge. Nine, ten feet. I went to some conferences in Bailey. This is Igor Bortsev and Don Monroe. They've both written books. Bortsev is a Russian political scientist who switched to Bigfoot. And he told us, I talked with him about it. He said, at first he thought it was a relic primate, right? Some uh, Gigantopithecus from Asia that lived millions of years ago, I guess, or hundreds of thousands. And I mean, there's no evidence it was in the U.S., but it, maybe that's what it is. Maybe it was Russia, you know. <clears throat> but there's no evidence that it stood up. It was just a huge gorilla weighed a thousand pounds. But then he said he thought it doesn't fit that because they're too intelligent. They can imitate or speak human languages. And they have, seem to have families. People see them with young ones and they, they walk on two legs. So maybe it's a relic human, like an undiscovered relative of us. But then he realized that wasn't it either. Why? Orbs, balls of light, things levitating around these creatures, lights going out, people receiving telepathic messages in their head when the creatures are around, cars stalling, you name it. Uh, cars starting when they shouldn't. Just the same sort of weird electromagnetic stuff we saw around crop circles. I've seen, you've seen. Happens around Bigfoot. Not exactly the same stuff, but to me, it was close enough. And again, I think the underlying phenomena, we know that there are animals that use these fractal toroids like the fruit fly. If Lockheed Martin is getting patents in this coherent matter wave generation, and animals already can do amazing things. They can generate you know, electric eels and octopuses that can become really invisible really quickly blend in. There could be other life forms around. I will say there are. That's my view. You don't have to agree with me. They're not just flesh and blood in the ordinary way that we think about it. They are, but they have other frequencies. They can do other things. And they are very good at being invisible when they want to be, just like dark plasmas like John Ramirez talked about. So I'm arguing, 
and this is what started with crop circles. <laughs> I know what a long, strange trip it's been. It led to cryptids, but you're seeing the same underlying phenomena. There is a video you can look at on YouTube, uh, Barb Shoop, where they saw it with their physical eyes, but when they took a picture, you just see a shimmer effect. Really strange. It's caught on camera. Take a look at that one. Uh, they saw it, but when they replayed the video, it just looks like a shimmer moving through the forest. Look, you know, small one. I was with a group just a couple months ago in Bailey. I went on a Bigfoot adventure weekend. The Sasquatch outpost holds these. Our group didn't see anything, but this group did. This group said they saw it through thermal imagers, 10 feet high, or it was making howling sounds. It was as tall as that tree behind them, the head. <laughs> They're big. It's some sort of relic, something from, okay, my belief, it's something from our planet that knows how to harness, you know, dark matter, neutrino-like, uh, you know, energies, and do all the things that the Lockheed Martin patent talks about, invisibility, cloaking, teleporting. It's just a function of uh, coherent matter. Just a couple examples before we close. You can read a lot of books from witnesses about this. Tom Lyons is one. He's collected stories. Rusty Wilson, uh, flyer fisherman, collects stories you know, around the campfire at night. Rusty Wilson had one from a woman that recorded nature sounds, and she had a partner who's a former park ranger in Yellowstone, the Boiling River Trail. It's in Yellowstone, and they would go there in the winter when no one was around <clears throat> to have it to themselves and to also get good sounds of nature. And she said her partner in the hot springs started to go unconscious just as they were talking about this strange buzz that is heard over the Yellowstone Lake that no one knows what it is. <clears throat> and she started to see static coming off of him. His hair was standing up straight. And they start to feel like they should leave. And she sort of carries him back to the car. I mean, he's semi-conscious. <clears throat> and a Bigfoot comes out blue, with blue light. <clears throat> they get to the car first, and the Bigfoot has to look down into their window, and it illuminates the car with blue light. It's like they're electric. It's like Nikola Tesla stuff. I mean, animals. <clears throat> it happened near WSU. Uh, in Idaho, in this area, Moscow Mountain, people have seen uh, close where I went to school. I had no idea when I went to school that this was a big Bigfoot area, but people see them around the mountain. Over the years, not too much, but here and there. You know, and I've talked to people in this area, and some of those are in, in my book, Dark Matter Monsters. But it's interesting that these are prevalent, but people don't talk about them a lot. Uh, when I've done some radio interviews, people have written in on YouTube, and this woman, Barbara, said, she, after 50 years, she wanted to talk about this episode. Okay, this is an interesting aspect of it. Glowing eyes. She said she saw the glowing eyes. She, they were going to sleep in their tents. A Smithsonian archaeology dig on a China Lake Naval weapons station property. You have to get special permission to go there. They're just turning in. She's lying down and she feels something stroking her head. She thought it was the guy next to her in the tent. And she asked him, what are you, what are you doing? You can listen to my interview on YouTube about this. She says, what are you doing? He goes, I'm not doing anything. My, you know, my, I'm just in my sleep. Mix. Then what's this? And they all, four of them get out of the tent to eat two per tent, four people. And they see 12 feet away from them, a nine to 10 foot Bigfoot with glowing yellow eyes. Go figure. Then it stares at them for 30 seconds to a minute. She said it seemed like eternity. And it walks away or vanishes. She couldn't tell. It's just gone. 
and there are reports of it. Igor Bortz have talked about this, just just like a just vanishing, just like that. Um, there are footprints the next day, but nobody takes a picture. They all have cameras. They've been taking pictures of rocks and petroglyphs, and they don't take any pictures. And she said, like, they were minds were influenced by this. So there are lots of witnesses. Barbara, I found to be a very credible witness. Um, and I'll just see you a couple more pictures before we go to questions. This is not just Skinwalker Ranch and the Rockies. These creatures are all over the U.S., and I imagine they're in your country, too, because I've heard reports. People have commented on YouTube if they've seen them in the U.K. There's uh, uh, Robert Boston, a researcher. He, he's talked how he's seen them in Germany. His wife was German, and they would they would he would hike. He said when you went off the trail, you would see these creatures. They would throw rocks, do all the stuff they do in the U.S. A lot of people don't go off the trails in Europe, so they don't see them. This was something from Marley Woods. I just want to show you again the overlap, and then we'll open it up for questions. Marley Woods, it's a just a pseudonym for a ranch in Missouri, central U.S., and they had the same things at Skinwalker, the orbs, uh, battery camera failure, uh, strange creatures, and sounds just all the symptoms to me of coherent matter and gravitational collapse. Because when you're working with the fundamental constants, changing permeability, you know, magnetic, electrical constants, you're affecting the speed of light, like Hal Puthoff told us. You're affecting the structure of space-time. It's highly likely that parallel realities are going to start interacting that weren't interacting before. So this picture is taken by Ted. He's no longer with us. He was an associate of J. Allen Hynek, the UFO researcher on Project Blue Book, right? Ted was his research assistant, and he carried on the research after Heineck passed away. Now Ted has passed away. But there was this creature they saw one day. Uh, they could never figure out what it was, and even veterinarians couldn't figure out what this was. It was three to 400 pounds, the size of a polar bear. It looked like a polar bear with a sloth, mixed with sloth. But even veterinarians could not identify what this is. Look how thick the legs are. Okay, it's not your dog, average dog. It's a white bear-like thing. There were a couple of them seen around that area. Even people in town that didn't know about Marley Woods reported seeing a strange polar bear-like creature on the way to work. Now, here's the weird thing about it. You're thinking kind of like people thought about Bigfoot. Escaped gorilla. This is what it used to be called, by the way, and use escaped gorilla. Uh, escaped circus animal. That was often referred to in the U.S. If you look in the old reports from 100 years ago or go back farther, they were thought to be circus animals that escaped, though they never found any circuses for escaped gorillas. But this is, this is how your mind deals with things that are different. <clears throat> so you might think, oh, it's just some escape, something. I don't know. It's really big and it's three different. Well, it left hair samples, which could not be identified from hair testing. The hair was 16 inches long. It left footprints that look like this. And the rancher saw it and shot at it. He said he thought he saw a wound, but it didn't change the behavior of the animal, which proceeded to walk through a barbed wire fence, through a barbed wire fence. This has been reported at Skinwalker Ranch, too, with the various cryptids they saw there, which were more like a huge wolves or wolves. I guess what we call a werewolf that stood on two legs, what's sometimes referred to as dogman. They would see it go through fences and things like this. Uh, this creature, whatever it is, 
walked through a fence without slowing down and left some hair. So you kind of get the idea, guys. It's kind of quasi-physical, but it has, in my mind, a dark matter component to it. There's more to it, which is why it would seem different and foreign to us. It's like what Paul Dirac said, there has to be another anti-universe of other particles. And I think we're seeing it. So to sum up, um, I think what we have seen around crop circles, and I've been involved making many over the years, some with the circle making groups and many where we just pay the farmer and, you know, Ron and I would go out and we, they charge a lot, but we would do experiments and see if it would affect our compasses and our meters. I think that we're dealing with very fundamental phenomena here. <clears throat> crop circles, in my mind, create coherent resonance, and coherent resonance creates coherent energy, leading sometimes to ball lightning. And I think that if we're seeing patents coming out from defense contractors in this technology, it shouldn't be surprising that there are other life forms on Earth that already know how to do this. As you're aware, there's no technology that's ever been invented that didn't already work with some natural principle that was already there. It just hadn't been discovered. So <clears throat> it seems to me that there are life forms that are very good at this and they really don't want to deal with this very much. They enjoy you know, showing up once in a while, being invisible the rest of the time, maybe even going into other realities that you and I can't go to. <clears throat> but the fact that you get in crop circles and around cryptids, and so many stories of this, the same type of camera, I've spoken to witnesses about this, camera failure, battery failure, a type of brain fog the next day, car batteries dying, the same sort of thing suggests to me they're saying some underlying similar principles at work, even UFOs to some extent, that once you organize matter past the way we're used to dealing with it into a more coherent form, it just has these macroscopic quantum properties, you know, including teleportation, invisibility, cloaking, and all these things, which to us seem new technologically, but have really been around for a very long time. So thanks very much for listening, and let's have some questions. All right, Simeon, thank you. I am somewhat uh, flabbergasted now. <laughs> I get the general idea. Um, so uh, I see there are no questions in the chat room, so maybe someone uh, wants to ask a question live. So if you would like that, then just uh, speak up, put your camera on and put your uh, microphone on. And uh, well, I see a hand raised by uh, Paul, uh, Jonathan Paul, so maybe you can go first now. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Simon. That was, I mean, we need to. This is Nobel Prize quality work. Thank you. <laughs> Fantastic. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. It's um... yeah. Yeah. I have a question just in terms of simple definition. Uh, looking at orbs, balls of ball lightning, and balls of light. How would you distinguish? I mean, I'm just I'm trying to get my terms, and and but but this sense of coherent matter, coherent. Uh, resonance and then the gravity collapse. I think you're on to the physics there. Brilliant stuff. Thank you for putting that together. Hmm. Yeah, you're welcome. And the people that put it together, it, it's not me. It's the people okay. that have been reading this in all these different countries from Tesla. Even before Tesla, there were people looking into this in the UK. <clears throat> it's just, it, it's been, um, <clears throat> excuse me, it's been suppressed. Mm -hmm. Yes. Stigmatized. And we've all been bullied by our peers. 
in our professions, uh, not to go in the direction of these areas. It's considered woo-woo or something. And at the same time, we see defense contractors getting patents in it. It's unacceptable, folks. This yeah. is how nature works. It does amazing things. So to answer your, so I'm, I'm just putting this together at the end after so many people have come, you know, all the people I mentioned who've done it over the years have come and gone already. Uh, I'm just saying, look, I was in this crop store. I've seen this and I want an explanation. I kept pushing it. I kept reading science and it just kind of clicked for me once I discovered this co coherent matter. But I would say, and I could be wrong, Paul, I think orbs, ball lightning, these luminous phenomena are similar sorts of phenomena. They, they may have different shapes occasionally. People have seen toroidal form. If you look online, there are sites that collect people's ball lightning experiences. Mm -hmm. People have seen Tauruses on them in their bed when they've woken up at 3 a.m. They've seen a glowing Taurus that went out the wall. So it raises the question whether some of what we're seeing is not literally in, you know, UFOs in the sense of in humanoids intentionally flying in a craft, whether it's another type of consciousness that's manifesting itself around ball lightning. I mean, it's the, 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 the crossover here is so subtle because ball lightning can seem intelligent. It can follow you down a road when you're walking. It's very sensitive as a quantum object to subtle static changes. This is why it comes down to chimneys or goes right down the aisle of an aircraft between the chairs. I'm going to argue, and again, you can make another argument. It's not because it's intelligently doing that. It's following a static gradient. It can seem like it's playing with you. People report being terrified by ball lightning, and it, it may create that feeling. Uh, people, the researchers at Skinwalker Ranch reported feeling that terror. Uh, maybe that's why Bigfoot is so terrifying sometimes. Uh, hmm. But ball lightning itself can inspire these feelings of terror that, that people report. But it seems like it's following you or reacting, but it's because it's so sensitive, in my view, to static charges, though it, it could have another type of, it, it could be a life form in and of itself that we don't totally understand. But I'm arguing here that these are the same sort of coherent phenomena and they can be created by a crop circle. They could be created by a cryptid. People have seen Bigfoot holding balls of light throwing balls of light at them. And I personally know people that I met at the Bigfoot Adventure Weekend, and I saw some of those lectures in Bailey. They said they saw them come out of a ball of light on a trail. Mm -hmm. uh, Ron Moorhead, who recorded the Sierra sounds, you're probably familiar with him. He wrote that book called The Quantum Bigfoot and Voices in the Wilderness. He said you could never see them, but they were right outside their hunting structure in the Sierras. They could hear them on the other side of the wall. They had mics in the walls and they record. You can look for Sierra sounds. You can listen to them online on YouTube and you know, they're available. But I asked him when I interviewed, he said, you could go outside really quick. There'd be nothing there. And you would hear these sounds and occasionally see balls of light moving through the forest, other shapes. <clears throat> There's a Miwok Indian saint from Northern California, the Miwok tribe that I came across recently. They said, where a Bigfoot walks, a lantern follows. I believe them. Mm -hmm. They're associated with these light phenomena. And all of us at, on this call have always thought that's some sort of an advanced technology. But let's say that's a fundamental aspect of how nature works. Once you get the proper compression, it just forms ball, micro ball lightning orbs. They're natural. Then it would make sense that there's some 
creatures, life forms that are associated with that type of matter too. Just like you find life associated, whether it's deep under sea or in the Arctic or in volcanoes, you find microbes, right? Extremophiles. So it's just our bias being technological people that we think you have to create this from Tesla technology with huge, you know, pulse discharge generators and, you know, <laughs> but, but it, it's how nature, and this is what Matsumoto is saying, by the way, in his collection of papers, he's saying, this is, this is how nature works. It's not just way out there in space that it's creating these black holes and things. It's happening all around us. It's a fundamental aspect of how nature works. And I, I think our science has been blinded to it. I just think we could create our, we could probably talk for another hour why this is not more of a public discussion. I mean, my energy prices are pretty high right now. Uh, Roland and I were talking about this before the call. We're still using these older systems when we have alternatives or avenues. I, we don't have the time to go into it, why this has been so marginalized. But when you look at the people studying this, Paul, the U.S. Navy, SPAWAR, has research yeah. in called fusion. A whole bunch of, I, I didn't show you all this. The military has their own patents and Salvador Pais has, we've heard about the Navy patents recently and all the same, same thing. He's talking about this piezoelectric <clears throat> lead zirconium. It's the same process that we were talking about here. It's a way of causing compressed charge clusters to form the resonance. And this is the essence of it. There's technology is based on resonance, but resonance can create other types of technology. Resonance can create. And uh, crop circles, the thing we're all familiar with, is one type of that mm -hmm. te te technology, even though we didn't realize it at the time, in my view. <clears throat> Makes sense. Thank you. Yeah. Can I Thank add you. to that, please? Hi, Guy. <laughs> please hello, do. Hello, Hi. Hi, Guy. Hi, gang. Um, um, hello, JP. Okay. Um, um, and thank you, thank you, Simeon. That's an um, amazing, amazing lecture. I was fascinated. Um, I've, I've actually got three questions. Um, the, I think the first two will be uh, just simple yes or no's or whatever. Um, it, I'm just seeing your bibliography there. And um, thank you for referencing so many interesting uh, sources. But your own work is, is Open Minds, uh, your most thorough work regarding crop circles, which is um, right. I'm fascinated in. Is that the best one to go yeah. to first? I mean, like, let's face it if, it, if it's good, I'll buy the lot, but I want to start somewhere. Yes, that's my first book, and it was about crop circles, the experiences we had there, and why I thought resonance was a fundamental feature of it, even though at the time I didn't know the principles. It's from 2002. It's the 20 year, 20th year anniversary. <clears throat> it's my publishing company. I run a publishing company, so like 20 years ago. And that was my idea of what could be going on. And I have lots of pictures in Opening Minds um, that show orbs and balls of light and strange phenomena that, you know, people shared with me over the years. So, yeah, that's my book about what, and I knew it had something to do with resonance because you could feel it to shape, but I didn't understand all these principles. It took me 20 years to put all this together. So you got to do something with your time. And this, is what I, this is what I've come up with. It's just those of us, I mean, not a lot of people know this, but that's what I think it is. It's a type of resonance, but we, I think the mechanism would be these fractal toroidal shapes, which are so reminiscent of crop circles that we see there. So that'd be my idea moving it forward. But yeah, opening minds is that, that's about that. And remote viewing, by the way. I also think it's a resonance, something I still teach. Just finished a class this week, a Zoom class. I also think it's a type of resonance where you're picking up the information uh, through a type of, yeah. 
Thank you. Thank you. Well, I, I will go to that one. And my second question um, is, what are the green stones in your ring? I got this ring at the uh, op uh, open, uh, open Minds UFO Conference in Scottsdale. Outside of Scottsdale, it was sold to me by the Navajo Merchant. Now, Can you hold it this is interesting. Yes, it's it's a turquoise. Uh, and but this is the four, four directions of protection. I bought it from the artist himself. We were at Fountain Hills on a Native American reservation. I worked with the Navajo during college. I didn't know about any of this at the time, but the Navajo, because they were, I met some recently at the Sasquatch Adventure Weekend in July. And I said, well, I guys, I worked with you guys a long time ago in college, you know, just teaching English and math to elders, the code talkers, as they, they were called here in the U.S. They didn't speak any English. Uh, and um, they have, they, they had a name for Sasquatch, which I recorded, but I've forgotten. I'll, I'll find it again. It's called a huge monster in their translation and they would uh still this guy alonzo told me to this day they still warn their children when you go out of the hoan at night that's their uh eight-sided structure that they live in very dispersed you don't go past this spot because that's where the creatures are and he said they tell them don't make a lot of sounds don't attract attention because it's sort of like a truce they are, that area's over here. We live in our kind of little area over here. He said, still to this day, and he said, it's not just to scare them to get them home by dark. They still believe this. And they told me a story of mm -hmm. a woman in the 40s who disappeared sheep herding with her family, a five-year-old. And they searched and searched, couldn't find her. Five days later, five, five or six days later, she comes walking out of the woods. They say, where were you? She said, I was taken by these huge, hairy giants. And they said, bears. And she goes, no, no, they walked on two legs and they fed me and took care of me for five days. They just wanted to meet and I'm back. So he said, it's something they don't talk about outside the tribe very much, but they believe in this. And if you listen to the Navajo rangers like Jonathan Dover, look him up on some of these podcasts. He talks about the same phenomena we just talked about here. Footprints that just disappear in muddy ground out of nowhere like he said pulled up into the sky orbs balls of light same phenomenon so it's just the data are the same it's just our willingness to talk about it and so that's what this ring is and that's sort of connection to the topic which, which kind of connects me to the the third question which is yes. um, um i've been i've been looking at um in my uh, as as roland and jp know i i'm a, i'm a newcomer to all this relatively and i'm doing a baptism of fire over the last few years um, but I've been coming across um, footage of these strange things um, in either water, but mostly in, in, in the air called skyfish, which are these tiny little wiggly sort of bright light things. Is this, is, this a, is this a joke or is this related to what you're talking about? Or do you know? Well, about I don't know a lot about skyfish, but it wouldn't surprise me. I've read so many reports of different types of cryptids, and this I would have been suspicious about this even a few yeah, years is ago. Is that the general term? Is the general term cryptid? Yes. These are undiscovered crypt meaning a vault, you know, secrets. Okay. I, I have to tell you something really quickly. When I went to WSU in Pullman, Washington, the anthropology department was above the sociology department. There was a guy named, a, teacher, a professor named Grover Krantz the original Bigfoot guy. 
he took a lot of heat for studying the footprints around the Palouse and around the Northwest, but he had tons of casts of huge footprints. And he, I never talked to him. I didn't know about him or the topic at the time, but it was that close to me. Just an office away of someone that studied Bigfoot in my building from the Blue Mountains and places around in Washington. So it wouldn't surprise me that there are many types of cryptids, albeit rare, some of them, that I believe people really encounter. And I think these cryptids just are very good at disappearing very quickly when they don't want to be found. But when people encounter them, they're like as real as you and me in this space. The skyfish could be what John Ramirez is talking about, seeing these orbs coming in from the keyhole satellites. He said sometimes they were visible and sometimes they had a stealth mode. They were only detectable through electromagnetic means infrared. So I don't know a lot about skyfish, but Here's what I would say, Guy. We've, I think we've been too skeptical about all these topics. I think there's a ground-level physics to all of this that we're going to know more and more about over the coming years. And I think it's going to show that there were a lot of things that were true the whole time, that we all took a lot of heat for getting involved in it. I think this cryptids is one of them. I, think, I, I believe the accounts that I read from people, at least the vast majority of them, and the witnesses I've talked to, I haven't encountered a skyfish witness yet, but I'll be on the lookout for it. So thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you. I, th I think the, uh, the, the, the key is that, um, you know, science, as we've known it for the last two or three hundred years, is an adventure into the unknown. And, um, and, and the, the things that we experience, which still aren't explained, um, shouldn't be discounted. They should be um, embraced and um, hopefully, hopefully researched in some, uh, some dedicated way in the future. But that's what we're all here for. Well said. Well said. I agree. That's right. I think Thank Robin you. has a question. Can you hear me? Yes, yes go ahead. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Simon, uh, thank you so much. That was a very amazing presence. Astonishing. Thank you so much for that. Thank you. So well put together. All known um, references. I come into crop circle, frankly, through my daughter that we visited Australia. She's into astrology and she's really quite spiritual. It's opened up a whole new world. But what I appreciate from what you said, it's not just about crop circles. It's something that embraces crop circles, but it's only a, a, a small part of it. Um, Thank you for what you've done. I'm just wondering how on earth we get this. Uh, in the UK, we have, if you like, ambassadors for research into the origins of the universe and what it all might mean. And quite regularly on our TV, TV programs, we have, um, we have this idea that we can get known astronomers tell us and hopefully we'll get excited about all the research going on to the origins of the universe. Now we've got a specific chap. Uh, you get various names come forward, particular one, Brian Cox. Now he's actually become, from the school's point of view, everything you need to know about the universe. Everybody tunes into it. Now what I'm concerned about, what you're saying is way beyond the level of how exciting it is to find when we the Big Bang 
it's it's all like misguided what you're saying is actually making a huge amount of sense um and appreciate it it's as we said about crop circles you you get sort of you you must be joking forget it um you've actually put together an enormous amount that is way beyond anything i'm hearing through sort of established channels um uh, i just want to thank you for what you've just said i might even try and contact the ambassadors known knowledge about the universe have you actually listened to what you're saying you might want to revise what really needs focus so thank you very much that's all i wanted to say thank, thank you Th thank, thank you, you robin and thanks for i remember you thanks for being here again i you know folks we've all taken a lot of heat for these subjects but i don't know i was raised in an educational system that said pay attention to data pay attention to your perceptions sure. and don't cave in to public opinion don't cave into being popular it's exactly. just how my parents raised me don't try to be popular try to tell the truth and okay. when i saw that stuff happening in crop circles i thought listen when i was a kid i would build electronic kids with my paper route money i would go to a store here we call radio shack or heath kit and i would assemble kits and i never saw anything burn out i knew what electronics could do it doesn't burn out it doesn't I said, something is going on here with these crop circles. Brilliant. Even some of the ones we made, there's something going on. I'm not, this has to be important. And I just wouldn't let go of it. It's just tenacity. I think no. if you do this yeah. any topic, you don't listen to people. Don't try to be popular. Just stick, just stick with the data and what you're seeing and other people that you have can talk to about it, right? Like our crop circle community. And it was so great over so many years meeting so many of you over there and we compare notes fascinating it was the best laboratory i've ever been in was wiltshire and i wouldn't back down from it and so i appreciate all of you being crazy enough to listen to me but it looks like the world is coming around here in the us and paul can tell you this we're having slow disclosure congressional hearings really uh, wow. navy pilots yeah. are not happy running into these objects almost having no. collisions they know what's going and on there are classified hearings going on. Maybe the, I'm told recently it's going to go all the way back to Roswell. They're going to have hearings. Uh, the stuff wow. it was there was yeah. partly open in Congress last May, and they entered stuff. They entered references into the record, which means it's now publicly admissible to have hearings. Whatever in the record, wow. and I'm told this could go all the way back to Roswell. So we might be lucky enough to live in a time where the paradigm really starts to open up. And we won't end up like Galileo under house arrest from some yep. dogmatic institution really we'll go the point. other way. Fantastic. And we will do justice to all the scientists that came before us who paid the price, some with their lives. Yes. To find wow. out what sort of universe do we really live in. And you don't yep. find out what universe you live in by throwing away outliers that don't fit the dominant paradigm. I was taught in graduate school to throw out the outliers. The outliers are what make it change. You can just look at current events right now. It can explode into something that affects the entire planet. Outliers can make a difference. It can cause huge economic crashes. Outliers matter. So these outliers, be it from crop circles to cryptids to UFO counters, even though they're sort of rare, they're still 
the data still matters as much as other types of data. We can't get away with just pushing it aside. And so anyway, thank you for thank you for sticking with it and thanks for listening today. And oh, cool. I'm encouraged. It's all the people that came before us that at least allowed me to put this together. And you might come up with a different interpretation, but to me, this is the simplest way. I mean, it was Einstein that said, you know, simplify everything as much as possible, but no simpler. So <laughs> you can do that. This is where you end up is what I presented you. There could be aspects of it. Maybe we'd have to tweak, but to me, that seems like the easiest way. And what it allows you to do is the next time you come across someone you know in your life who's had an encounter like this, be it a haunted site or an orb that followed them on the street or a UFO sighting or even a cryptid encounter. And I run into people out West again who've encountered these cryptids. Mm -hmm. You won't, you'll say, oh, I understand why you had that. It's not, don't push it away. Don't talk about it. Don't bring it up to the neighbors. How about we sing it on, get on the roof and yell. On lungs. <laughs> this is what I saw. I'm not, I'm not okay. ashamed to, be, to talk about this because Very the good. Senate and Congress are Brilliant. talking about it right now. And yeah. it's the stuff of the news headlines. So let's get on it and figure out what, what in the world's going on. Thank you. No, that's great. Thank you so much. Absolutely brilliant. Really appreciate it. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, thank you. I have something in the chat box. Um, and she asked I think Paul has one more question follow up too. Yeah, so we do that right after this. Uh, Frauke says, very, very interesting. Thank you so much for this mind-blowing lecture. Uh, this reminds me of two Netflix sci-fi supernatural series, which are actually kind of documentaries. In Stranger Things, a kid abused in the Montauk Human Experimental Center tells that a way of, uh, to know how you are uh, approaching the upside down parallel world is not noticing compass errors. You talked about that. Um, yeah. The characters also meet a kind of Bigfoot monster. Manifest is about passengers who traveled through time and got a huge uh, psychic skill after the plane disappeared. Um, I think the plane was going to uh, through dark lighting. Yeah, that was in the series. Interesting how the Cabal shows stuff like dark matter exists by Hollywood and Netflix movies. They often are like documentaries rather than fiction, I think. Um, I've seen a kind of UFO, a light ball and a beam changing shape in my room in Glastonbury this summer. Uh, the first time I was uh, there in Avalon and the first time I saw something like that. All right. So thank you, Frauke, for this. Uh, I have one comment on this. On that? Let me just say something. Uh, you know, sometimes you see things in fiction before it becomes real. I mean, Star Trek's a good example of things that yeah. I saw as a kid that turned into, you know, ideas that we seriously, you know, look at now. The ideas of extraterrestrials and, and federations and the technology, the teleporters. But it wasn't until yesterday reading that Rabel paper from that dissertation from a grad student in, in the UK that it, something finally made sense to me. And this is how close we are just day by day figuring this out. I've always wondered why people, they say before a cryptid encounter or a UFO encounter, everything gets very quiet. Hmm. Almost every cryptid encounter, Bigfoot, this is what people will say. There was a strange feeling. It got so quiet, even the crickets weren't chirping. Well, looking at that Raybould paper, he said fruit flies have a toroid in their brains for magnetism. I always wonder how would insects pick up a Bigfoot? Why would they even care? 
I understand <laughs> squirrels and things that Bigfoot could chase and, you know, but insects, the insects stop. Why around UFOs? People report it gets dead quiet. There could be alternate explanations, but if insects have these magnetic receptors in their brain and there's a subtle shift in the electromagnetic field in some way from a fractal toroidal process that's creating some sort of coherence, they might detect that. And even being insects, they know, oh, better be quiet. <laughs> I don't know. It just, I just understood that yesterday, why insects would detect coherent matter in some way because they have co they have these detectors even the fruit fly if a fruit fly has it folks we have it too this is why do you know dowsers have you ever seen examples of dowsers that have found water where i know examples of dowsers that have found water for people friends who were buying land and building that even professional water companies couldn't find that's because we have these receptors and we you know with training you can pick it up anyway fascinating paul did you want to add something Sure. Um, in terms of uh, Robin and, and as well as people listening, there's, of course, there all, there's the whole physics of the plasma universe, thunderbolts.info. That might be something Robin would want to, because that gets into a physics that where there's a lot dealt with the cosmology. There's also the new work of Robert Temple coming out, the new science for heaven. And he talks about the discovery of plasma clouds between earth and moon, and that this is really that there might be some intelligence within these clouds, two clouds, which are in, anyway, I won't get in, but there, there is new physics, there is new science coming to all of this. So in this respect, in this sense, I think, uh, Simon, in terms of your remote viewing next time, check out uh, Wolfgang Pauli, see what he has to say about oh, all of these and the new trios. Yeah, and I wasn't, you used the term relic neutrino. Yes. If it, yeah, if it's a relic, what is its source? Where are these neutrinos coming from within the galaxy, within the cosmos? I mean, uh, yeah, what, what is their origin? What's the origin of the relic neutrino? Good question. Oh. Uh, good question. And let me add one more thing that you just reminded me of. The relic neutrinos from the model we have of cosmological evolution are a product of one to two seconds after the Big Bang. This is mm. how it's calculated. There has to be a particle there that forms a bridge to matter as we know it, mm -hmm. an energy form that is dark, not, not electromagnetic, but gravitational. And that's where the idea came for them before they were detected by things like uh, Parkhamov's telescope and other people. Oh, one more source for the relic neutrinos, Maurice mm -hmm. Elias from NASA, who did the pendulum experiments. Mm -hmm. This I is in your book. I, it's, Parkamov and Matsumoto are in Dark Matter Monsters. I go through everything you just heard in the lecture is here. But I came across something even more recently, which is more confirmatory evidence. Okay. Maurice Elias had worked with NASA who found that pendulums during eclipses don't move the way they should. During a solar eclipse, when the moon comes in front of the sun, there's changes. Maurice, A-L-L-I-A-I-S, uh, a French... Uh, we need to talk about that because we're going to yeah. have two solar eclipses here in Texas, one a year so, from now, actually, and then yes. one in the spring of 2004, 24. Yeah. Right. I've been okay. at presentations where these pendulum people say, get a pendulum from us and record your results during the eclipse. The Elias pendulum results are completely consistent with Parkamov that says there's a stream of something like an ether 
that's affected by gravitational objects and it completely <laughs> affects uh, anything that's gravitationally related. The neutrinos are lensed and affected by okay. things like ellipses. So that's I'll, another I'll, I'll, get in, I'll get in touch and we'll talk more because I think sure. Frankie has wants to comment on something. No, I, one more thing before we get to Frankie, one more comment you just reminded me of. Uh, the price that people have paid to do this, the cold, so-called cold fusion Leonard researchers, there's another one beyond Fleischmann and Pons that we know, you know, we've all heard of who were fired from University of Utah, kind of driven out of the country by announcing their cold fusion results in 89 and really were attacked by the physics community or even mm -hmm. presidential commissions, MIT. And it turns out to be real after all these years, despite the attacks. There was another researcher, John O'Meara Bacris, who had worked with Fleischmann a long time ago. He was at Texas A&M. He replicated Fleischmann and Pond's results using the same equipment, got the same tritium byproducts, and was investigated for fraud by his university three times. He had to hire oh. attorneys and every three times. Oh my they God. said... What they said, so you got the tritium in there because your grad student went into the lab at night and planted it there. Wow. And that... all this BS. Now, all the charges were dropped against Omer Bakris because they realized if you add tritium to water, it doesn't look the same as you get from a Leonard reaction. It's a different radioisotope. It's not the same thing. So all the charges were dropped, but he spent the last years of his life fighting these lawsuits. But he wrote a book called The New Paradigm about all these areas of science. And he looked mm -hmm. at it, I said, we haven't paid enough attention to poltergeists and remote viewing. And he had a section in there on crop circles, and he mentions opening minds. He cited my book. Mm -hmm. So a cold fusion <laughs> researcher saw our research from crop circles and realized there was something going on. And that, to me, was the beginning of this connection. It was seeing my reference of my book in John O'Meara's The New Paradigm. I'm sorry, it's out of print now. It's very hard to get a copy. <laughs> but this was a gutsy fighter from originally from South Africa, I believe, who would not back down even in his department. And he's another person that we could thank who persisted and showed us that these results are accurate, they're true, and that these institutions are abusive. If you get yeah. a result, challenges what you're, uh, they, the common thinking, I think, as Guy said, uh, is supposed, science is supposed to be opening up, is supposed to be a process of discovery. And yet it becomes this tyrannical witch hunt against people yes. with anomalous results. That's what science is supposed to be doing. So anyway, we have a lot of people to thank who really paid the price in terms of their careers. And I'm not one of no, them. Serious. I chose not lives. Lives in so the past. Yeah. yeah. So that's a, so Jamie wanted to add something. Go, go ahead. Thank you. Jonathan, I thought, I thought you had another question. Oh, no, I got lots of questions. Anybody else? Timmy and yourself. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about, especially with the facts of the eclipses. We're going to have, right where I'm living, we're going to have two total, total solar eclipses. You need to get those pendulums set yeah, up because apparently yeah. with an ordinary pendulum, you can detect the relic neutrino flux as you'll see oh, good. it change. Yeah, that's and we have electronics now that can measure it. You can see okay, it change I'll give you during, and that has to be something to do with dark matter. There's no other explanation that makes sense. I'll give you a call. Your website is... Uh, my website is newcrystalmind.com. Newcrystalmind.com. New okay. You can go to all my books from newcrystalmind.com, my YouTube channel, my Twitter, and there's a contact link, and it works very well because I, 
update my sites every week and you can contact okay, me. Great. We'll do it every week. Yeah, I'm Thank looking forward to talking to you. Great. Thank you. We'll be in touch. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thank you. Anyone else still maybe has a question for Simeon? Not really yet. <laughs> so, wow. Well, yeah, you have many questions, maybe. But I just um, staggered, basically. All right. So this was, was a lot of information, Robin, and it took me 25 years to put all this together. So it's very compact. Go and watch the video again or read any of these books. Uh, Parkamov's book will totally yeah. explain. It's a bit of an expensive book, but sometimes small presses have to do this. It will explain to you all his thinking through the relic neutrinos and how it related to cold fusion lander. It's a fascinating to see people we haven't heard very much before, but with all the same stuff that we've been interested in saying, look, we found something in our area. It's equally anomalous, but here's so all the pictures. It, here's the explanation. And uh, so anyway. No, it's fantastic. And, yeah, yeah, take your time and look through it and it'll slowly make sense. You'll see so, another view of reality once you understand these topics. No, that's brilliant. It's such, yeah. such a shame that it, it's um, because it's so imaginative, um, creative, it's not getting through right across the intellectual thinking of the world. It's it's well, it's slowly it's, changing. I there's a new movie that came out. I have to tell you this just as a bit of self-promotion. I have some <laughs> there's a movie that came out called A Flash of Beauty, Bigfoot Reveal. Someone wow. told me about it and I watched it. It's by Brent Eichenberger uh and some other uh, Toby Johnson. And what I really enjoyed was not all the account, beautiful drone photography, great witness accounts, but at the end, hmm. they have psychiatrists and psychologists about all the pressure that people go through yeah. from their peers not to talk about things that are not Anything part of the defenses. Yeah, and why people have PTSD don't want to talk about their cryptid encounters, but it's worse. They may not even remember it because the human brain, the, our brains are such that if we encounter something that's outside the envelope. Uh, yep. I wrote yeah. about this in Black Swan Ghosts about the Milk Hill encounter of Paul and Sonia, yeah. where they see these orbs come down over that field where the Aztec formation is. And it was Paul, uh, Paul Vigier who had a ball of light follow his car. He, they saw his car at the time. Uh, Paul was, he's no longer with us, unfortunately. He was a crop circle researcher. Okay. Uh, but they saw a ball of light follow a car, and he lectured us about it at the Glastonbury Crop Circle Conference. He said, Paul said that he saw this ball of light come out of the bush and follow, and he had these other witnesses up there. These phenomena can be such that you, and Paul and Sonia, kind of, if you look on my YouTube channel, uh, blackswanghosts.com, you can see their videos. It's very hard to make sense of this. What these psychiatrists and psychologists said at the end of A Flash of Beauty, you might not even remember it if it's too far outside the envelope of your idea of reality. Mm -hmm. Not only will you not want to talk about it, you won't remember it. And I have had friends in the Rockies. I don't know if this is what it is. They went on a hike with someone and all of a sudden they're back in the parking lot and they don't know how to, they got there. They should have been 20 minutes in on the trail. All of a sudden they're both back in the parking lot. I don't know what that is, but it could relate to this in some, you literally forgot what you experienced. Now, just one thing, there's a sequel coming out to Flash of Beauty and they happen to have me in it. They happen oh, to like okay. what I have to say. 
So it's called The Flash of Beauty 2, The Paranormal Bigfoot. And I'm told I'm going to be in it because we spent a day filming and I told them exactly what I just told you all about what I think could be going on. And they liked it. So look for that coming out in about okay. six months. Are you, the, are you the flash or the beauty? Uh, I think a uh, flash of beauty. Thank you, Guy. It's a flash of beauty. It's a creature. And you see them striding the way people describe it, striding with these huge steps. With the, they seem to glide again, Gorman. They seem to glide over the forest. So I think it's it's the creature. It's got, but thanks, thanks. I have a question about about what you just uh, spoke about. So in in the UK, there's a lot of sightings like that. So they don't call it Bigfoot, but we see creatures like um, in the uh, trilogy of Tolkien, the the Gollum creature. Uh, we have the uh, puma of Bodmin Moor, um, and we have the hellhound. Yes. So, mm. what I'm wondering is why is it that if uh, people are experiencing at the same time the same event, that some of the people in the group, or maybe one in the group, sees this hellhound and the other one doesn't? So, is Excellent. that because one of them doesn't remember, or is it because they didn't see it's, it? It's such a good question, Roland. I think about this every freaking day. As I keep reading these encounters, even past the publication of my recent book, Dark Matter Monsters, I keep reading more accounts, and this is what I read, and I've seen it many times. They can't agree on what they saw, a group, huh. even from a Bigfoot. Some people will say it looked like a cat, a big, muscular cat. Other people say it looked like an ape, and yet a fourth person will say it looked like a caveman. Not at all like an ape, like a hairy caveman with a human face. Is it, what is it going, is it a psychological, I asked this, I mm. talked about this yesterday, they said what yeah. it is, is yeah, yeah. our minds have, can only put it into That's the category of something. With. Yeah. Or is it a resonance effect, that a coherent matter effect where you're filtering it through your perceptual lens of animals you're familiar with or things. It's not any of those. <laughs> It's something different. And you read these accounts of Bigfoot. Again, you can read them yourself, Rusty Wilson or Tom Lyons or uh, Carter Bouchard, many people that get witness encounters. And people say it looked, it didn't look like that. It looked like this. Or some people swear they saw something that looked like a cat. And are there different species of so then to go to your question, Roland? Sometimes you have the situation with balls of light. This happened at Marley Woods, where one group would see these bright balls of light casting light, and another group at a different angle didn't see it. So I'm wondering if it's a feature of coherent matter that it's very phase-specific and frequency-specific. That It's just something to do with our perception. So one explanation could be the psychological machinations of our mind that change what we see to make it something familiar or the other way could be that it's literally a resonance effect that the person didn't perceive it i don't totally know but this is a what you're pointing out is a feature of cryptids and the critics would say well that's you know it didn't happen but you know something happened when everyone saw something but they can't agree and it's more common than you would think more common than you it's very puzzling feature but i would say it's consistent with something that's in a different state of matter, at least partly, that it doesn't, it's not quite defined the way solid matter is for us. It's still, it's phasing in and out. Yeah, that's, that's a Excellent. feature that has this effect that someone sees it and other ones doesn't, I think, yeah. Okay, thank you.
Um, well, it is uh, 10 minutes before. <laughs> it's 20 past 10 in the in the Netherlands, so it's 20 past Getting late for you guys. <laughs> I've got a whole afternoon ahead of me. Yeah, you have. You have you know, you know. So this is, I think, would be a good time if there are no pressing questions anymore to, to wrap it up. So this would be the time to speak up or forever hold your peace. <laughs> no, sorry, I, I just can't resist it. That, that's so fascinating. Toroidal perceptions of everything. I just wonder what's happening in our own minds uh, as we perceive all of this. Are we affected in the same way, or just observers of all of this? You know, have, have we got? Sorry, it's just an abstract thought. It's a good thought, Here Robin. Uh, crop circles taught me to be very observant, as okay. all of you who've been in them. You go in there and you are really paying attention more than it's not your ordinary wheat field. You are really looking around for yeah. sound and sure. sight. But since learning about the cryptids, anytime I'm outdoors now, I'm talking not even in the woods, I am really looking for saran wrap. They like to, they like to appear transparent and you won't notice it if you're not paying attention. People have reported them as they go invisible. They, they look like saran wrap moving against the trees. Just one wow. example, I'm not saying all the time, but yeah, no, no. <laughs> rock circles made me observant, UFOs, going to many UFO conferences, uh, made me just looking around. Do you do you really see what's going on, or are you just business as usual, just going through your day trying to get everything no. done? Now, no. when I'm out, I'm looking in the woods or even close any at the edge of town, and I'm looking a little more carefully at what could be there just from. Excellent. So I think what this does is make you like a kid again, where you don't know what's going on, and maybe that's a healthy state for us to be in. Is no. yes, exactly. Our egos. You don't know what's going on. Yeah, and this is where all this leads me. You don't really know what's going on and pay attention and maybe the universe will show you if you wow. stop yeah. insisting that it be a certain way. Yeah, you, like you figure out, you know everything and just stop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. No, thank you. All right. Thank you. Um, Brilliant. I think it's time to end the evening. For, or, stay in touch. Uh, Please stay in touch. Anyone, any questions? Um, the, um, is the... Is the channel still going to be open after the lecture finishes to carry on chatting with people, or is it um, done and dusted? Well, I can leave it open if you want to, but I am uh, not going to be participating in that. <laughs> but I can, leave the, I can leave the channel open if you if you like. Sure. Um, yes. I don't remember, guy, the last time I did that. Oh uh, yeah, no. Do, before you hours. say that, before you say that, I um, I promise I'll be on my best behavior. <laughs> Please misbehave if you like. <laughs> I don't, I don't um, mind that. I don't I'd, love, I'd love to catch up with and, and, um, and I'm going to try to around. And if Simeon's uh, got a free afternoon, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be around for another half hour or so. So I, I have to, to go somewhere in a few minutes. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. okay. I, I have okay. a call at. 3.30 in eight I, minutes, I have to go on for another. Okay, okay, okay. okay. We'll, we, will, we, will touch, we will touch. We'll be in touch. Stay in contact and contact me anyway, YouTube, Twitter, and any any way you want. We'll talk. Hopefully you guys I'm, now, I'm now going to close the evening. So okay. <laughs> thanks, everyone. Yeah, well, everybody has to travel safe. I'd like to thank yeah. everybody for their attention, to for your um, thank uh, you. actually here. Uh, the only thing that I want to say is that uh, the next uh, Zoom session that we do 
for Sky High Creations will be um, October 27 uh, in the evening. Then we will have uh, Simon Miles, and he will be oh. talking about Renless Chateau. And for once, he will not be talking about why Sunyera has all that money or stuff like that. It will be more about the geometry, and he has some very interesting findings. Yes. And he wrote a book about it, and this uh, session will also be the book presentation uh, for that. So, um, thanks, Simeon, for your Thank uh, you guys. Marcos lecture. Thank, Thank you. you so much. See you and you'll send out for me. Send out a notice for Simon. You'll send out a notice for Simon. Oh, of course I will. Yeah. Good, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's it's on the a really website good. already, but I will send uh, an, uh, an invitation. Great. Yeah. Thank you all. Travel safe. God take bless. Care, take care. Bye, guys. Thanks. Bye-bye.